Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, and Ryan Nicodemus is out on assignment today. That assignment is vacation in Montana. So uh, I have I have two guys here with me. Listen, last few years I've I've had quite a few health problems. Um, I'm turning 37 this week, and two years ago on my birthday was sort of this this nadir of of health problems and uh in fact i had so many problems i had to write them down <laughs> so that i could remember how many health problems i had uh, i've got uh christopher kelly with me and dr tommy woods and we're gonna talk they're both from a, a company called nourish balance thrive and they've helped me out immensely over the last two years with with a lot of these health problems I've had. So, Chris, I reached out to you. It was literally on my birthday when we talked. Oh, I don't wow. know if you, if you know this, but it was my 35th birthday. Yeah. And I'm just going to paint the picture for everyone. I, I've i had immense back pain since I was uh, a teen. I, I broke my, my L5 and it eventually fused to my S1. In fact, whenever I get like, if I got an MRI or CAT scan, doctors are like, oh, you must have had a surgery to have that fused. And no, they just sort of grew together. And, and uh, I couldn't sit down for like six months when I was uh, a freshman in high school because of that. Wow. Uh, in Ohio, where I grew up, we were playing ice basketball one day and someone tackled me during ice basketball. And ever since then, I've had some back issues. <laughs> and uh, and it really, it, I, got, I was under control throughout most of my 20s. And then into my 30s, it started to get more and more pronounced and the pain was really bad the beginning of 2016 january 2016 i was waking up with 10 out of 10 horrible like sciatica and just the pain was unbearable like so unbearable i was like how am i going to get through this next second and so i started to see different doctors and i i, I saw a surgeon and i was two weeks out from having surgery and then but but then I found out about this type of physical therapy that I started doing. It's called Agoscue therapy, and I'm sure we can talk about that if, if necessary. But that helped out a little bit with the back pain. But I suspected something else was wrong. Like maybe there was some hormonal imbalance or or, or something because I wasn't sort of recovering the way that, that I, I should. Like I was doing two hours of physical therapy every day, but it wasn't really taking like it should. And on top of that, when I was about age 27, I started developing these weird allergies, like uh, seasonal allergies, but also chemical sensitivities. To like, I moved into this apartment, and all of a sudden, it was right after my, my divorce, and um, I, I thought maybe, oh, I'm just depressed. But I didn't really see the correlation right away. I would go into a, I'd go home, and I'd start feeling these weird symptoms. My, my throat would get sore, my eyes would get watery. I'd start to have this really weak, pathetic cough. Just <coughs> and, and I thought, oh, maybe I'm depressed. And I went to a doctor and he said, oh yeah, well you just, your mom died, your marriage ended, you're probably depressed right now. And uh, I went to another doctor and he's like, oh no, 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 it's not depression, it's asthma. Here's an inhaler, have a good day. And um, I saw several doctors, I couldn't really figure out, and then I moved. And those symptoms got better all of a sudden. I moved into a place that I didn't have a chemical sensitivity to. 
And then I kind of ignored the symptoms because they weren't bad enough that I, they weren't causing enough pain mm. that I was willing to make some ch radical changes in my life. But then around age 34 and 35, it all started to come crashing down. I moved into this apartment in Montana and I was so allergic to it for lack of a better word so sensitive it had they had just refinished the floors they had just painted the walls and i felt like i couldn't breathe in there i had to move out like emergency level couldn't couldn't stand it anymore and i started to feel helpless i started to feel this type of of despair there was this sensitivity there but then i was having all these gut problems at the same time like I, it was hard for me to digest anything like wheat or just carbohydrates in general like anytime i would eat fiber i had the worst wor kind of gas and it, it was it was terrible but then around the summer of 2016 i started getting like brain fog and then i got this temporary memory loss like short-term memories were just gone like, and i couldn't and, and then I started to not be able to remember basic words. Like I would look at the table, but I wouldn't remember that it was called a table. Like what's the name of, frightening. of this yeah. thing? It was so frightening. And, and, and then like my hormones were all out of whack. Like I'm in the best relationship I've ever been in. Rebecca, my partner is amazing. She's so supportive. And, and we're gonna actually talk a little bit about that today, having supportive people when we're going through these health problems. In fact, she's made it so much easier for me to get through a lot of these health problems but she's been so supportive and i'm in this great relationship with a person i'm so attracted to but my libido was through the floor summer of 2016 not only was my libido through the floor but i i had problems with erectile dysfunction and so i'm like okay wait a minute i've got terrible back pain horrible back pain i've got brain fog i can't remember stuff i can't digest things I can't be around paint or any sort of chemicals without having all these terrible allergies. I had horrible seasonal allergies and there got to a point, and, and by the way, my hormones are so out of whack that I'm not even attracted to the person I'm attracted to. I'm not attracted to anyone. I have no desire to have sex or anything. Like what the hell is going on with me? And, and then I, I got desperate. And so where do you go when you get desperate? Google. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I stumbled across this uh, this website for this company called Nourish Balance Thrive. Um, it was actually you did a podcast with a guy named Ben Greenfield. Oh yeah, I, I didn't just I, I had no idea who Ben Greenfield was. Oh really? I, I had no idea who you were, but thanks to Google, it connected me to the Ben Greenfield podcast. That's amazing. And, and then you were talking about many of the things that were going on with me, and I realized like wow, maybe, maybe there's some sort of solution. Now, obviously, I wanted a magic pill. Yeah. I, I wanted, hey, I wanted to call Chris up and say, hey, give me a prescription to fix this immediately. <laughs> and I remember talking to you on my, my 35th birthday. And uh, the thing that you said to me, you said, hey, it's going to be okay. And I, I can't tell you like how relieving that was. I know it was like the strangest sort of like, I, I, it's weird that I needed permission for to, to, to realize like, oh, maybe this is going to be okay. Because to be honest with you, that summer, I really thought I was dying. Like I thought this was the slow descent towards death. I mean, when you start losing your memory, hmm. it, it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I mean, I got my will in order and I, I'm, I was preparing to like, oh, this, 
this might be the end of it all. And I talked to you on the phone and you said, hey, we've got a program. I could try to work with you. We can do some testing and we could talk about some of these problems. And you started talking to me about really basic things like sleep and uh, hormones and diet and exercise. And, and, and these were all things that I knew like fundamentally mm. But like we started getting into the more granular things that would be more applicable for me. Like we all know that diet and exercise and sleep are important. And I had a pretty good diet and exercise regimen and and I had uh, what I thought was a decent sleep regimen. It actually wasn't, but it is now, thankfully. Um, and over the last two years, we have slowly worked together to try to get to the bottom of what these health problems are. And the weird thing is, even though it's all in one body, I'm all one person, I didn't realize how interconnected mm-hmm. all of these problems are. Like, It's almost like I treated them as if they were standing in separate corners of the room, right? Right. And, and so, Chris, w- when I called you and, and we, we started talking about, hey, this is going to be okay, what were your first thoughts when I started telling you about about some of these issues I was dealing with? Well, the story resonated. I mean, it's the exact reason I started the business, right? Yeah. I mean, you always wonder. I mean, that's, so that's what I did. I went onto the Ben Greenfield podcast and told a, sim- a story similar to yours, right. thinking, am I completely bonkers? Am I the only person this has ever happened to? Yeah. And then, you know, several hundred people come forward and say, um, that's exactly what happened to me. Can you send me all of the things that you did? I want the diet. I want the tests. I want the supplements. I want everything you did in a package that I can buy. Here's my credit card number. <laughs> um, and you know, you, you, but, but when we do that, we're also sort of looking uh, again, I, I did, I knew I wanted the, the immediate result, but I knew that that wasn't possible. That was the first thing you talked right. to me about too. Like, Hey, yeah, it's, it's going to take some time there. This yeah. is a process. And the, the thing that you've known working with me the last two years, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to put in the work, whatever work is right. required. I am willing to do that. Because I also understand it isn't, I'm not gonna, going to just like, oh, here, I'm going to upload this program into my brain and via osmosis, I, all of a sudden I'm healed. And I know it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've been extraordinary in that regard. I was thinking about that earlier today that most people, they have ambivalence. You know, when I ask you to start eating red meat because you have an iron deficiency, most people, they kind of squirm a bit and say, you know what, I really like not eating meat. I don't <sighs> think I'm going to do that, you know, but you were extraordinary in that every time we came up with a record, I say we, it's not the royal we. So I, I, at this point, it might be an idea to introduce how this program works. It's not just me. I didn't just show up with all this information. Right. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, especially uh, Tommy. Uh-huh. And, and so Tommy is the architect of our program. And I think of myself as a builder. You know, I show up on site and it's not really on site. It's via Zoom or the, the telephone in this case. Sure. And deliver somebody's information. But yeah, usually what happens is people have ambivalence and they don't really want to change. And it, it, it takes some time before they do start to implement some of the things that we recommend. But you are extraordinary in that you just present the evidence. Yeah. And then the next time we talk, it's, it's done. Like, I'm, okay, yeah, I reintroduced. I had a ribeye steak yesterday. It was fantastic. And I, but I had to treat it as medicine, right? Like, so, yeah. so here's the weird thing. When I was in my mid-20s, I was a vegan for a year on a bet. So I used to weigh about 80 pounds more than I weigh now. And so I was just looking for ways to lose weight. And I'd heard about this thing, this vegan diet. And I'm like, oh, this like, it was clearly healthier than what I was eating, right? Um, and so for a year, Ryan and I both went on this this vegan diet. We we're both in the corporate world. And 
uh, the reason we did it is is I, I told him about it one day and he's like what the hell is a vegan and I'm like <laughs> I was like oh d- don't worry about it Ryan you could never do it and that's the only thing you ever need to tell Ryan is he can't do something he's like well forget it I'm gonna go research this thing and I'm going to figure this out today he calls me up a few hours later and he's like all right I'm in and I bet you I can do it longer than you and so uh, he actually won the bet I did it for 11 months and um but then I went back and like I lost the taste for meat. I went back to eating yeah. fish, and I ate, I ate uh, well for the next decade. I ate fish once or twice a day, and that caused some mercury poisoning, which we can talk about in a little bit. Uh, that mixed with the the sort of metal in my mouth, and so that was an additional health problem that I had tacked on to to everything else that we had just talked about. But um, so when when you said when we did the initial test, and you're like, hey, you're low on iron. I think you should reintroduce meat, and I'm like cringing because like i i knew it was gross to me at the time but but also like i wanted to treat it as medicine so literally i remember that that first day i went over to chipotle and i I literally i was like i know i can't eat the whole portion of meat right now right and so (laughs) i said just give me three little cubes of of the steak and they're like what i'm like just give me three cubes of the steak like i have (laughs) to eat these right now and then like i'll slowly reintroduce this because uh, it is medicine and, and, and no, just like a little kid. I mean, I've got a five-year-old. She doesn't want to take her, her medicine at night. And so what do they do? They, they have some sort of sugar coating, right? Right. A reward. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so for me, the reward was feeling better and, yeah. and I knew that I wouldn't feel better instantly, but this was what was going to get me, uh, to go down that road. And so, uh, we went through some tests. We, we first figured out I had something called C. diff. Right, an overgrowth of a unfriendly bacteria. Right, and everyone has C. diff to a, to a certain extent. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, I mean, it's a bacteria. But can, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it might be more prom- uh, appropriate for Tommy to talk about it. But I think yes, yeah, so you're right. It's there in everybody's gut. But when something goes wrong and you lose the other key players, then this bad guy has the opportunity to overgrow. Do you think, that, you think that's fair, Tommy? Do you want to? Yeah, that's exactly it. So. When people talk about what's going on in the gut and the bugs in the gut, the gut microbiota, whatever you want to call it, there's often it's often characterized as these are good and these are bad. Mm. But that's never the case in medicine or biology, right? Sadly, it's just not that simple. However, when uh, you have an imbalance, so you have uh, too much of one versus and not enough of another, that's usually how how, how they come together. Then. You're gonna you're gonna see some issues, and C diff is is a common one, particularly now with uh, the use of antibiotics. So if you take um, particularly broad spectrum antibiotics or antibiotics that uh, target a lot of different bacteria, then you sort of clean out a lot of some of what's going on in the gut, and a lot of, most of it's good. Um, and then some of these other guys can they grow to fill the niche that's been left by those other bugs that you've killed with the antibiotics. And C diff is one. Um, Particularly, uh, particularly in hospitals, particularly in older people. Um, not that I'm calling you old, but um, <laughs> that's that's where we see the uh, where we see it most frequently, and it, it can be life threatening actually, an overgrowth of C diff. But we see it very frequent frequently in our clients who, for various we- reasons, there's some kind of imbalance going on, and then then it can cause issues. So that's exactly what what was happening with you. It, it, that's it, absolutely, and, and the thing is, I for the almost the previous decade so I, I had really bad scalp acne which is probably the best place to have acne because if, if you have hair it covers it up right and so i'm like uh, uh 
it was actually a soy allergy. I didn't know that for for many years. But like, if I eat some, if I eat a piece of tofu, I get a huge outbreak on my head, right? And so uh, I didn't realize the time. And so I went to a dermatologist, and he's like, "Yeah, Bactrin. It's uh, this antibiotic. You just take it every uh-huh. single day. It's benign." I'm like, "Oh, the doctor <laughs> said the antibiotic's benign, so I'm taking this antibiotic every day for nearly a decade." And it totally destroyed my gut. It mm. was. It, it was right around the, it, it was shortly before my mother died by marriage and so I had these two traumatic events. I also worked in retail and we were remodeling all of these stores right around the same time. So I was exposed to all these crazy chemicals that w- were going on. So I, I, I mean, I opened dozens of, of retail stores and I was there, you know, with the hard hats and everything and, and uh, making sure everyone was doing their job. So I was exposed to all these chemicals. I'm doing this intense antibiotic treatment and plus anytime i got a cold what did i do i went and got a z-pack or whatever and they just take the antibiotics and you'll be fine i totally destroyed my gut and i i right around 27 and then beyond i just started having all these gut issues which through through this testing which by the way when you first started sending me these tests it's not like it's just one test right i mean my my kitchen was just filled with piss and shit and blood <laughs> um shit's in the mail <laughs> yes uh i mean it was like you've got these little stool things and you're peeing on things you're spitting and on vials and you're peeing on these strips but this was important in figuring out like and, and the interesting thing is i think out of the first six or seven tests that we did a lot of them came back sort of i'll say inconclusive you're like oh, right we, we, there, there, there's not a whole lot to do with this here and then all of a sudden we got the sixth or seventh one back. You're like, oh, here's the C diff thing, and and then from there, you recommended doing some stuff with supplementation and with my diet that would change that. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking about leaky gut as well. Is that something that we should talk about at this point? Sure. All right, let's do it. Yeah, it's an important problem. So it's it's actually a really interesting problem because it's not really accepted in the regular medical community. And, and there are a few things that sort of exist in the fringe health sphere, which we occasionally inhabit. But, um, but I want to be really clear uh, that um, the reason I was so attracted to what you guys were talking about is it, you, you, you may have like you dip a toe into the Eastern world, but only if there's like like evidence some evidence to support it exactly it's not just like well here yeah just if if first call chris would have been like yeah just rub this crystal against your face three (laughs) times a day like even as desperate as i was for answers i I think i would have said yeah thank you very much have a nice day that's actually the next phase (laughs) (laughs) crystal suppositories (laughs) so so you're right one of the benefits of not being in um, a, a rig- rigid, formalized um, medical system, uh, which we're not, is that you can uh, you can change and adapt and adopt things as they become more evidence based, and that's something you know. Leaky gut is certainly one of those things. Uh, some people might call it intestinal permeability, um, and there's plenty of evidence to show that people with various autoimmune diseases, even metabolic diseases, type two diabetes, if you take a piece of their gut and you look at it, there's for want of a better word, there's holes in it. Mm. There's meant to be connections between the cells in the gut that stop things that you don't want coming across, coming across. Mm-hmm. And there are many things that can can affect that. And it can be uh, foods you're intolerant to. It could be um, certain toxic 
uh, things that you're exposed to. One thing that C. diff does is it makes a toxin which breaks down or you know causes some of those junctions to be broken down. So that results in a leakier gut or some degree of intestinal permeability. And then what happens is either things that you know, parts of the bacteria. So bacteria, they're there, they do good stuff for us, but they do also contain some things that can be toxic. Those have easier access to your body. Other things that you're eating that maybe you don't want to get into your bloodstream until you've fully digested them, they're getting across early. That can also cause issues. So um, whatever the uh, initial uh, cause is, and there can be many, then all of a sudden, uh, you have this whole host of symptoms. And this is one of those things where you're talking about how the whole body is connected. And often, um, it's at least part of that is connected through the gut. It's something that we see um, certainly uh, very frequently in our in our clients, the people that, that we work with. And this is one of the downsides of um, the way modern medicine is structured, which is that everybody's separated by a body part, mm -hmm. right? So you have a neurologist who only looks at your brain and right. you have um, um, a hepatologist or who only looks at your liver and you know you have an ophthalmologist will only look at your eyes except for the fact that all of these things are connected by a bloodstream and all these other things that are happening in the body at the same time the hormone signaling covers the whole body so when we sort of separate out body parts we don't look at the big picture as often and i think that's where um that's where we hopefully can can start to piece things together and and often as was the case with you it sort of can stem with some kind of um, large exposure or something that's going on inside inside the guts. Well, I, I think that that's one of the big problems because when I went to doctors and they said, here's an inhaler or you're just depressed and let me prescribe some Nardil or something. And I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm against sort of antidepressants um, unless I think they're absolutely necessary. Um, I think we suffer from a lot of sadness and we, we often categorize it as, as depression and we try to just give someone the medicine when when there's a whole bunch of other like sort of real medicine that will will work better like exercise and sunlight and water right um uh, people you know try these things as well but i, I remember going to a gi doctor who's like just the because uh -huh. my I, in, in my early 30s as, as my gut problems got worse i'm like hey i'll go to a gi doctor and he's like yeah just uh take some metamucil for the rest of your life and right. you'll be fine and i mean that's the other main reason i started the business was as an engineer i recognized that there was absolutely zero attempt to see what was going wrong there was no root cause analysis like it's obviously a complex system and i can see that you've spent exactly zero minutes trying to figure out what's causing this problem so for the example of your scalp acne they didn't spend a lot of time trying to investigate whether or not it was a food sensitivity that was right. causing that problem right. i'm just going to jump straight to a solution that i just happen to have right here in my desk drawer yeah right and of course this just doesn't work it doesn't work in health it doesn't work anywhere else either no. so for example when i'm riding a bicycle and i get a flat tire if I just shove another tube in there and pump it up, the chances are it's just going to go flat again because the thorn is still stuck in the tire or whatever punctured the tube is still there. Exactly. You have to find out why the tire went flat before you put a new tube in. And yeah. for some reason in medicine, they don't do that. They just jump straight to the to the solution, which in my opinion doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. And and because often the solution is is figuring out what the problem actually is, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and mm. for me, it was okay, I'm having these gut problems, but it's not just like all of a sudden your gut's gone bad. It's mm. th th there, There's something that's underlying it. And one was like, hey, 
no more antibiotics unless absolutely necessary. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not an anti, I'm not an anti antibiotic yeah. guy. What's an anti antibiotic guy? <laughs> a biotic guy? Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm all for them when appropriate, right? Yeah. It's just we, we, we've been using them inappropriately. In fact, one of the words I use when, when people we, we talk about minimalism, um, and that word scares people. Then I say, okay, just use the word appropriate. Like maybe right. it's appropriatism. Like because what's appropriate for your life may not be appropriate right. for mine with respect to the material possessions that we own. And by the way, when I first found minimalism, I was 28 years old and I'll be 37 this week. So almost a decade later, what was appropriate then isn't appropriate now. Mm-hmm, I've got a yeah. five-year-old daughter. Like my life is different. And it's, it's true with each of our, our, our diets and our health. I think there are some overarching principles mm-hmm. that make a lot of sense. But then what really helped me is, is when we, we chatted, you got down to the granular level and, and you, we said, okay, here are some tests that are appropriate mm-hmm. and, and we'll try these. In fact, you even waited on the heavy metals test because when I had this this leaky gut, you're like, I can't even we can't even address heavy metals right, until we address no yeah. the the leaky gut thing. So why was that? Yeah, so we've seen a lot of people get worse. I mean, Tommy, you might be able to talk to some of the more specific technical details, but if you've got increased intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut, and also heavy metal toxicity, and you try and pull those metals out of where they're safely in storage, then the gut is an important part of that detoxification process and. We've definitely, I've n- known several people that have gotten much worse. You know, you go to, another problem in medicine is that people tend to specialize and then would, whatever problem you go to them with, oh, this is definitely a heavy metal problem. Mm-hmm. I've seen this thousands of times before. It's a heavy metal problem. So mm-hmm. we're just going to go straight into IV chelation therapy mm-hmm. and it's going to fix you because every, every problem is a heavy metal problem. Yeah, and it's like you, you give, it, when I almost did the back surgery, I was two weeks away from that. Yeah. Of course, I went to a surgeon and he recommended uh, surgery, <laughs> right? He didn't uh, recommend chakra alignment, right? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, and the sad thing is, and he was a great guy. In fact, I really like him, but but uh, he, all he had to do was recommend uh, this thing called Agoscu therapy that at least tried this out. Like there, there's some sort of physical therapy that you can do. For me, it was, uh, uh, it's a, I still do it. I did it this morning. I do it for 45 minutes every, every single day because I have that messed up vertebrae. And uh, there's like 25 Agoscu clinics ac- across the country. I've sent other people there. I, I don't get any endorsement from them whatsoever. Just like you guys, I pay you guys a fee every month. I'm, uh, uh, there's no, uh, no one pays me to, to talk about these things, but these are things that have really helped me. Mm-hmm. And and, and the, the the physical therapy was something that wasn't free, but it's damn near free. And I don't have, it's not invasive at all. In fact, it makes me stronger as well. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's strengthened the, the muscles that were otherwise neglected for most of my life because I spent eight to 12 hours a day seated at a sure. desk just typing away, right? And it made me realize that the lifestyle that I was leading was ostensibly healthy, but but it wasn't it certainly wasn't optimized for health and just because it wasn't unhealthy doesn't mean that it was also healthy mm-hmm. and and i think that's that's kind of where we are right now we're becoming more and more aware of health like no one thinks it's a good idea to smoke anymore even people who are smoking every day don't think it's a good idea and they, they don't think it's not a problem but but there's also the the sitting every day the excess amount of of sugars refined refined carbs that we're eating like all this this garbage that we're putting into our bodies the the seating the lack uh, the seatedness the the lack of sleep we're experiencing all of these sort of low level amounts of unhealth for lack of a better term and then what happens is 
you turn 35 like I did and it, it has all culminated yeah. into this, right? Yeah. Uh, a life that I thought was relatively healthy all of a sudden came cascading down. Yeah. And did you get a glimpse of your mortality as well? That was the one thing that motivated me. You realized that it's quite stoic, isn't it? Remember you will die. Yeah. Like you kind of like, um, I'm not getting any younger and this is not getting any better. And I, I joke that I don't want to work with anyone that's younger than 35 because I feel like you have to have that glimpse of your mortality before you'll, <laughs> you'll do all the things that we ask you to do. Well, and it's, and, it's, and it's this weird thing where I was at somewhat at peace with that, but I also knew I didn't want to die. And if I was going to die, I didn't want to be in pain and suffering in the process, right? And by the way, like, I shouldn't be thinking about this at 35 of, oh, crap, I really feel like this is it. This is the path I'm going down, and, and it's terrifying to me. Let's fix it. And if if I don't want to go down that path, then I'm willing to do anything to change that. And I really think that's that's the inside. If I could give that to anyone who's listening to this, is you have to be willing to to actually make the change. Yeah, mm. it's important to work with people who are experts and not find the the crystal healer who is going to sell you a bunch of lies, but find people who are going to be your advocates and be supportive of you in that process. So you all work with, with a lot of people, uh, many of whom are athletes, but uh, a, a bunch of different folks. And it seems to me that you found some significant commonalities. And are they commonalities in symptoms or problems? Or what are, the, what are the, a lot of the commonalities you deal with now? So I think where we started is, is um, with Chris, who had his, his issues as, as an athlete particularly. And then a lot of the things that you described, so issues uh, with gut health, erectile dysfunction, um, all, all those associated uh, brain fog. And then, so I think initially the business was founded on people in, so endurance athletes with those kinds of symptoms. And actually you find that if, you're, if you train the way you're told to train for endurance events, so this could be mountain biking or cycling or triathlon, which is basically quite attritional. It's go out and crush yourself as hard as you can, as often as you can every day. And then in order to recover from that, you just have to eat a whole load of refined carbohydrates, Gatorade, cereal, <laughs> pasta, bread. Um, they make sugar packs that, yeah. that, yeah, that, that yeah. uh, cyclists yeah, bring so with the them, right? I used, I used to be a dealer of that stuff. I had the wholesale account <laughs> and then I had my bike team and I was the dealer and you know, I was the one that put in the, the group order and then everybody got the wholesale price. And I used to get back from every bike ride with this sticky ball of these wrappers of this stuff and I'd use one of those every 40 minutes. Oh and I absolutely had to have it else I'd start to have some sort of hypoglycemic episode or what felt like one, you know, oh where you're God. like dizzy and really hungry. Yeah, not it's ugly. Yeah. And when you and when you do that, uh, so there are some people who thrive in that environment and they do great and you know, that's fine, but it's a small percentage of the population and everybody else ends up broken in some way or, or another. So so I think that that's sort of been a core of our um, of our clientele, often endurance athletes, lots of triathletes, um, some runners. Uh, but then as the more we talk about this and the more we look into, you know, hormones and the gut. So we, we have a lot of people who have gut issues. That's just what we talk about a lot. And that's who we seem to attract in terms of in terms of the people that work with us. Now, when you say talk about you, you guys have a podcast, Nourish yeah. Balance Thrive podcast. We'll, we'll put a link to that, Sean, podcast, Sean, if you put that in the show notes as well. But uh uh, well, the thing I like about it is you touch on these different topics, so I don't have to listen to every episode, but there are ones that like, it's, I always download each one and then it's in my feed and I'm like, oh yeah, I really want to hear that one or 
huh, that one's intriguing. I never even thought about that. And so you have these these topics where I can dive a little bit deeper and I feel like uh, I get more than I would for, out of a TED Talk, but I also don't feel like I don't have to read a medical textbook in order to understand <laughs> it. So thank you for your podcast. I appreciate that. Well, sometimes you have to read a medical textbook. If I get uh, if I get really into it, then, then sometimes it will make people's eyes go crossed, but I try not to do that too frequently. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, so basically now uh, where we're at is we work with anybody who has a, a performance goal and you might think of performance in terms of athletics i want to run under three hours in a marathon right that would be a, an athletic performance goal but uh, for some people it might be um i have a five-year-old daughter i want to be able to play with her you yeah know, i want to have the energy to to spend time with my kids or i want to actually be able to function at my desk for my job um that could be a performance goal so yeah because i came to you and I, I wasn't an athlete at all i was wondering like i wonder if these guys will even talk to me right and and uh, i realized that the yes performance can mean athletic performance but it could just mean like getting better so you can be your best self yeah, right it's just a function that you're optimizing for it could be anything yeah yeah and, and so the hormone thing was something that was important because my hormones were all out of whack i had um, my, my, I remember my human growth hormone was relatively low at the time. And I think that's why a lot of the, I was doing physical therapy every day, but it wasn't really sticking because like I wasn't building up the, the musculature. And when, right. when we started fixing some of the gut stuff and, and, and through supplementation, uh, I feel like eventually, uh, it all started clicking and, and, and that, that back pain that went from a 10 to a seven when I started doing physical therapy is now at roughly a one or a zero most days. It's amazing. Uh, awesome. It's it's essentially gone, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm stronger than I ever was. And it's really simple sort of stuff. But it, I don't think that would have happened had my hormones stayed out of whack the whole time. But then, of course, my libido was through the floor. And now Bex has to fight me off every day. <laughs> um, it's uh, I mean it, it that I, I can tell you the 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 true sort of test here there isn't i mean we can do the blood tests or whatever like that stuff's great we were just talking about this well, last week i yeah. think um the true test is is how you feel like you need these these markers to help understand that there's nothing that's radically wrong with you but but for me it's like my sex drive is through the roof i feel way better than i did two years ago i feel like i feel like um you know to use a uh, sports analogy uh, I started off with sort of the one yard line and I was getting ready to get sacked for a safety like like it was not going to be good I don't know if this translates uh, I don't have any cricket analogies I'm sorry <laughs> no, gentlemen that, that, that's fine cricket you play for five days and then it's a draw so you can't quite have the you can't quite have the uh, the, the, the same analogy <laughs> so I, I felt like it was at the one yard line and, and, and the thing I want to stress is I'm not 100% there I feel like I'm 80 yards down the field which is a significant improvement from where I was two years ago um, and if, if you were to go back to my, my 35 year old self and say hey if you put in an immense amount of work you're going to get 80% better over the next two years I would have said hell yes yes yeah. like whatever I can do to get there also realizing I'm still headed in the right direction mm -hmm. and the changes from here are going to be especially incremental because to get that last 20% is like figuring out what are the sort of edge cases what are the, the slight tweaks that I need to make mm -hmm. because I've made all the dramatic tweaks and, and I've made a bunch of other small tweaks along the way as well. 
And so I still feel like I'm you know, 80% of the way there. I still have some chemical sensitivities. Um, they're uh, considerably less than, than what they were, but I was at, at Podcast Sean's uh, new apartment yesterday and he, he just had it remodeled. Uh, and I walked in there within half an hour, I started getting a little sore throat uh, and yeah. a little runny nose. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I, I, I realize I still have some chemical sensitivities, right? And I still have... Um, some tiredness that that I will experience, especially in the afternoons. Even though I have a, a relatively low carbohydrate diet, it's not like I'm eating you know three bowls of rice for lunch and then crashing. Like I I, I do get more tired than say my 31 year old self did, uh, and I, I bring my 31 year old self up because that to me that felt like the sort of peak health for me even though there was a lot of stuff going, starting to go wrong, it's what felt like the most sort of, I was the most physically fit, but also like uh, m maybe most mentally sharp as well. Mm. And I feel like I'm getting really close to that. And what's exciting to me is to get back to that and then surpass it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can do that. I feel like I'm maybe a year or two years away from really surpassing that. And by the time I hit age 40, I'll be sharper and fitter than I was at, at 30. And certainly than I was at 25, because I was fat and unhealthy at 25. Mm -hmm. I was working 80 hours a week and sleeping literally three or four hours a night every night. And I didn't realize how unsustainable that was. Mm. One of the things that you did help me adjust quite a bit was my my sleep. Mm -hmm. And I, I had built up this weird pattern that was starting, I thought, to work for me. Um, I, I would sleep three hours a night, two nights in a row, and then I would sleep nine hours on the third night. I don't know why that worked for me at the time, um, but eventually it stopped working. And I, I realized that um, there were just a lot of small adjustments that I needed to make with screens and getting sunlight in the morning. Can we talk right. a little about some of those yeah. basic things that will help help out with sleep quite a bit? Yeah. And why why is sleep so important and why do we neglect it so much? Yeah, I mean, I, we, I can talk about some of the practical concerns because I'm definitely living it, but Tommy's the neuroscientist. Perhaps you should talk about why sleep's so important. Oh, well, there's um, both sides of that uh, are very important, but uh, in terms of the, the practicality and then the, the science. But the, um, so essentially, sleep is the only time that you have for a lot of the tissues in the body to repair. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes uh, from the brain all the way out to the skin. So there's even some really interesting data on how uh, light at the wrong time on, on the skin at night when the skin is supposed to be uh, repairing itself, that sort of predisposes you to things like skin cancers. So even like sleep and darkness at the right time, you know, that's when the body repairs itself, essentially. That's when the brain flushes out all the stuff that's been accumulating during the day as you've been thinking and, and, and doing whatever it is that you do during the day. And in terms of uh, the, the light exposure, there's two important parts to it. So there's sunlight during the day, um, mm -hmm. which helps time um, everything that happens in the body happens on a, what we call a circadian rhythm. So during um, uh, circadian means roughly a day. So it happens at a specific time during the day. And there are hundreds of genes and proteins and things that your body makes in different amounts depending on the time of day. And the way that your body knows what time of day it is, is it should be sunlight, bright light during the day. And, you know, right now we're inside. This, is, this would be nowhere near enough light um, to set a circadian rhythm, even though it's 
it feels bright to us compared right. to what you get from sunlight it's it's really it's really nothing it's a it's a fraction and then uh, at night um you need darkness because that tells your body that it's nighttime but you produce a, a hormone called melatonin which some people may have taken to try and help them sleep because they spend their evenings staring at a screen which suppresses their body making melatonin so blue and green uh, lights particularly and the bright leds that we get on screens phones and computer screens and television and televisions everything you know it's really good at suppressing our melatonin production and melatonin so it, it times the clock it sets our metabolism but it also has some you know antioxidant effects anti-cancer effects they're using it in um for for uh, studies to try and uh, repair injured brains uh, as part of cancer therapy so melatonin has all these amazing effects yet we're suppressing it by watching all these screens at night and you know so the, the two ways to prevent that is to make sure we get sun during the day which again sort of helps prime us to make melatonin at night and then also just avoid those bright bright lights at night yeah yeah and i've added a few things and you and i talked about this a little bit like a sleep mask and and some earplugs and and just some 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 really basic things but it had more to do with i think the the practice of getting sunlight as soon as it's available mm-hmm. i tend to still wake up I, i'm i'm just an early bird so like i still wake up before the sun is up and uh so i got this thing called a human charger mm-hmm. um and I, I don't know what the science is behind it you've sent me a few a few studies on it but uh um what are your thoughts on on sort of art the artificial light from that so I think that that can help. It's uh, if if nothing else, it certainly gives me the placebo. We you know we're big fans of the placebo. If you can get a placebo from something that has literally zero downsides, you know that's great. If it makes you feel better, then then and it's not displacing something better. And that's it's not my displacing caveat. something better. Yeah, yeah. there you go. But uh, it's really good for jet lag in particular. So um, if you're trying to time your circadian rhythm to something that you're about to go to or somewhere where you've just arrived, you know, part of jet lag is the fact that you're body has no idea what time of day it is right and so then the light in the day and darkness at night is 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 a big part of that so the human charger has some great evidence for for that but then for the same reason if you're not going to be exposed uh, to bright light then um, making sure that your body is getting some of those uh, cues at the right time even if it's not from sunlight i think can can have a big benefit so it makes sense yeah and and i was living in montana at the time too so like uh, all winter it's dark and cloudy mm-hmm. and uh, and the sun doesn't even come up until I swear it's what is it show like 10 a.m. or something crazy but it's still bright out though right compared yeah. to what the the light well, level of light that you would experience indoors true you need to get a light meter but out sunri- sunrise wasn't until like 10 a.m. and I would oh, get really? up yeah I would get up at like like 4 or or 5 a.m. oh wow okay and so even between you know I'd have five hours between sunrise even though it was cloudy yes it, you, you, you would still have brightness but it was diffused through many many layers of clouds yeah yeah i mean it's it's canada basically um (laughs) and uh and so i mean we're in california now so i have a lot more sun and i can tell you there has been a marked difference in my mood and and Mm -hmm. and beck's i mean for whatever reason i'm one of those people who is ultra sensitive to light so i i walk every day i probably walk about eight miles a day and doing so in the sun like there is this marked difference in in my overall mood and happiness and Mm -hmm. one of the things you and i talked about is sometimes it's just about changing your environment and Mm -hmm. that might mean changing the geography uh, altogether i know you when you moved you kind of moved out into the middle of nowhere um uh just so i mean part of that had to do with cycling i i assume but 
the other parts uh why 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 the change in geography for you and how does that translate to other people well actually the main reason was to be closer to my wife's family we had a baby and you know it's really i mean this is another thing i mean all of these things they revolve around this principle of ancestral health like how can we recreate the lifestyle of the hunter-gatherer that lived 10,000 years ago as best we can because they seem to have been the best humans that ever lived, in, yeah. you know? So um, being part of that strong social but, but group might be important. But then also applying science yeah, exactly. to, to it's the not, ancestral health Yeah, I mean, stuff. that's one of the straw man arguments against the paleo diet is, you know, like these caricatures of like reenacting being a caveman, right? It's not a reenactment. It's just like, what, what's the best we can do given what's available? What's appropriate yeah. is, 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 is a very good word. And yeah, so that was partly to be closer to my wife's family but yeah it was i must admit it's very nice i live in bonnie dune which is just outside santa cruz and i get tons of sunshine there's bonnie dune manzanita trees and redwood trees and we're five minutes from the ocean and it's beautiful and i'm you know very grateful for the amount of time that i can spend outdoors in nature in the sunshine and i think my health has benefited from it greatly yeah, yeah. And, and here's the weird thing I remember when both of you recommended this like I had just finished a tour and you're like okay I think you should take a month and go, li- <laughs> go live in the woods now <laughs> see you are a triathlete this and, is exactly what triathletes do they just like grind themselves into the floor until they oh uh, well, yeah it's a yeah it's a different type of performance exactly. but yeah we, we did you know a 50 city tour and, and, and afterward you were like hey I think that uh, you should go live in the woods for a month but for me that sounds like hell like I grew up really yeah. poor and so I don't want to recreate that with camping uh-huh. um <laughs> <laughs> we were i mean our electricity got turned off all the time and sometimes the water would stop running that's because we didn't pay the bill and so for me like i actually i think going camping would really stress me out and then we had this conversation about this and you're like okay well what would be the ideal sort of relaxing environment and for me it's like it's coming to la and just walking yeah. around the it's city for a while and, and I think part of it has to do with like the psychology of the individual because yes, I, I and I've, by the way, I've lived in the middle of nowhere. We, when we first moved to Montana, we moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere to write a book. We were there for four months, side of a mountain, Montana winter. And the only thing you can do is write because it's negative 26 degrees <laughs> when, when you wake up in the morning and, and there's nothing else to do with your time. Right. And so I, I would basically just write. And so I, I understand the sort of dynamic of isolation. But, but for me, what was best for my psychology was finding the right place. Yeah, I, you were with your people here. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was finding you know, your own tribe. And, and uh, I think that's going to be different for everyone. In fact, yeah. I think the first seven or eight times I came to Los Angeles, I didn't find the right people. And, and there's a certain stigma to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if you're looking for that side of things, the self-absorbed e- egomania, and nar- narcissists, you're going to find that. But guess what? You'll probably find that in Dayton, Ohio, too, if you're looking for it. Um, but if you find, I and mean, there's 20 million people in Southern California, if you can't find the right people, then, <laughs> well, I don't Maybe think the don't problem is. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, I, I can tell you there's, it has been a marked difference in, in changing of, of geography for me. But um, I wanted to get into some some questions we have from our audience. Uh, we, we usually do some voicemails, but uh, today I wanted to go through my story instead of going through the voicemails. But I do have uh, some questions I reached out to our audience on social media. We usually call this the, the lightning round, because Ryan and I usually answer these questions with a short 
shareable less than 140 character response um wow. but we're not going to do that today this is uh, why I, I don't like twitter i yeah. can't do it. <laughs> it, it, it you can you can maunder on a bit and then maybe if we have something really pithy that, that is shareable we'll, we'll we'll write it down in the show notes or something uh for those of you who want to share it we're on instagram and facebook and twitter at the minimalist by the way um i wrote this down i wanted to get to it i said is social media fucking us um yes. <laughs> and I, I wanted to get like from from a health perspective because uh, i i've found it to be both wildly helpful and wildly intrusive simultaneously now we started using social media radically differently this year we wrote this whole sort of mini manifesto of how we're going to use because I, I found what we were doing up until this year is we weren't being very intentional about how we were using social media it was like oh i'll post a picture on instagram and then repost it on twitter and then re-repost it on facebook and it was like those those carbon copies where you sign something in triplicate and i'm like this is literally the definition of insanity doing the same thing over right. and over that why am i doing this like why am i not using these these platforms more intentionally so we started using the platforms a lot more intentionally like Instagram's really good for sharing beautiful photos and, and Facebook was really good for sharing links so that interesting and informative articles and Twitter is good for sharing words. And so that's how we started using these. And we provided these sort of creative limitations that have helped us use them better. But but the question for me is still like, how useful is it? A friend of mine is a guy named Cal Newport. Are you guys familiar with him? He wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Also another one called Deep Work. Yeah, that's the one. Um, oh yeah, I definitely heard that name. I haven't read it, but I... Uh, yeah, and he has a great TED Talk called Quit Social Media. Okay. And uh, he's a professor at Georgetown. We had him on the podcast uh, at a live event we did in, in Washington, D.C. And... Um, the, the, the thing that he talks about is the, how social media for most people is a net negative. And for me, I think right now it is a net positive, but I don't know whether or not I'm, I'm just tricking myself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd lo love to know what you guys think about it from, from a health perspective. I think there's, there's two parts to it. So like uh, we mentioned earlier, nothing is good and bad, right? There's, there's, it, everything is shades of gray. Right. Um, at least 50 of them. <laughs> Uh, sorry um but so on on the good side is is part, so the kind of stuff that we do so say if you have or you know in that world say you have a specific health problem or you have a, a specific thing you're trying to do be it uh, a specific diet or um yeah some problem you're trying to solve you can find a group of people who have the same issues have done it before have loads of advice can be supportive because you might not be able to get that same support and knowledge from your local community right it might just be you there just aren't that many people uh, around you who have this specific autoimmune condition or who want to try uh, a paleo or a ketogenic diet or go vegan right you you might not have that tribe so yeah. you can get access to that tribe and it can be very rewarding and very supportive so that's one positive on the other side, particularly um, with younger people, we see more and more that social media use is connected to mental health problems. And it makes perfect sense because A, it's replacing real human connection, which is incredibly important. You know, spending time with your family and your friends in, you know, in real life, outdoors, doing something, you know, doing something beneficial to yourself or uh, you know somebody else and it apes the form of connection without really providing that, that yeah so connection. you think you're connected i have a thousand friends look how connected i am they're not connections you're like if you needed help from these people how many of them are going to give it if you needed true support how many of them are going to 
are going to give it and it's right. a very small fraction and so you, and what, at the same time you're constantly comparing yourself right mm. um so I, I was reading the other day about how you know there's, there's a good point where when you were at school right so maybe school sucked and you were bullied um and but then at 3 30 you go home and you don't have to think about those kids until the next morning now they're on facebook they're on twitter you see them 24 hours a day like yeah, you cannot you just cannot escape they're bullying you at midnight yeah, now yeah they exactly that you cannot escape being bullied and it just it's continuous and at the same time you see these other people who are in your class and yeah they they have all this stuff mm -hmm. and you know they they look happy all the time and you know you're just it's it's a constant setup um for you to think of yourself as a failure and that kind of spiral downward so can be beneficial um can be negative and, and the science that's coming out now just starting i think because we've only just had sort of the tip of the iceberg of the social media boon and then the, the downstream effects but you know overall again particularly for young people really seems to be having a, a net negative effect yeah and and i don't know what the answer is yet i mean i can say use it more deliberately i don't know what the broader answer is but i i think the the individual answer is assessing what our needs are uh and and then what is appropriate for me and then also building up these either disciplines but also um maybe self-imposed constraints so we were talking about the constraints earlier but i don't have social media on my phone and it's not because I believe that Instagram is inherently evil. It's because I don't trust myself with like, I will, as soon as I'm in line at Chipotle, it's the first thing I will do is like, just pull out my phone and, and I'll be one of the other 15 people who's staring at, at the, the screen sort of mindlessly and not getting the value from that, that I would by maybe just pausing and thinking or maybe opening up my Kindle app and reading a book. Mm -hmm. um, there are alternatives that, that are, are better alternatives. And without completely leaving it behind and, and being a, a total Luddite, I, I don't think that's what any of us are prescribing either. But, but I think it's about finding the, the discipline to use these things responsibly in a way that that allows us to get value from it and, and not just pretend we're getting value from it, not just to pacify ourselves with it. Talk about the cognitive middle gear, Tommy. That's a very interesting thing. Yeah, so this is something that um, I, I guess I learned about from a friend of mine, uh, James Hewitt, who works uh, for, for a company that I, that I help con consult with. They, they work uh, both uh, with corporate clients and then they also do a lot of the coaching for Formula One drivers. That's kind of their blue ribboned, um, uh, I guess, uh, business. And he has talked a lot about, um, yeah, there's something called the cognitive middle gear. So if you imagine um, you have three gears and it's the same for sports. So, so that's something that a lot of our clients understand is you can do like the long, slow, aerobic, maybe you go for a brisk walk or a jog. You can do that for you know, maybe hours at a time. If you just sort of keep going, it's nice and leisurely. You're not really punishing the body. Then you have the high gear, which is like, sprinting and you just go and you're very intentional and you work very hard for a short period of time and then there's the middle gear which is actually where most athletes are taught to train and actually it's what really does them the most harm is basically just crushing yourself for long periods of time like 30 minutes or an hour that's how people think they should train right so, they go, so if a sprint is a 10 out of 10 the middle gear is a like seven, seven or, eight. or an eight yeah, exactly so if you can do it for half an hour i know you're not sprinting right yeah right, <laughs> right. and and people do that they're like Usain bolt or something yeah <laughs> like three people in the world i'm well actually he just sprints for 15 seconds then eats some chicken nuggets um <laughs> but or 10.59 seconds i think it's. anyway um but 
so people when they think that they they're going to train what they're going to do is they're going to go out and i'm just going to run as hard as i can for an hour and that's like absolutely the worst way to train but it's also the worst way to use your brain so if you have uh the cognitive low gear so that's exactly like sitting and thinking you know contemplating just letting your mind wander you know that's when you get your best ideas but we don't really let ourselves do that and then there's the high gear which is where oh, you know, can, I, can i stop you on that for a second because yeah. i i don't know if i wrote yeah i did write this down attention span um Man, like we talked about sharpness a moment ago, right? And I feel less sharp than I did at age 31 still. I, I feel leaps and bounds, I like infinitely better than I was two years ago when I first made that phone call to you. Um, uh, but I don't feel as sharp as I, I did it at 31. Um, but I, I feel like I'm getting close to that. But maybe one of the problems is I listen to too many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So you, so this is, and I, I'm certainly guilty of that too. You know, I have a free moment. What can I do in this free moment? I can, you know, a podcast is the perfect way. I can put more information into my brain, yeah. which is definitely probably not what I need. Definitely probably not what I need right now. And so what what you should be doing again is long periods of that, you know, low gear where the mind is just allowed to you know be getting bored allows you to come up with all kinds of great ideas we just don't that doesn't happen anymore mm. but when you want to achieve something you do this high gear high focus intentional no distractions you get stuff done but what we spend most of our time doing is we spend time in the middle gear which is um i'm working on this project oh wait i'm going to check my email oh um oh look uh, facebook i just got a notification on my phone and you you're constantly being bombarded there's constantly stuff coming in but you're never actually intentionally doing something it's just like this continuous load of information that you cannot actually ever process that's the cognitive middle gear and that's what we spend most of our time doing c continuously task switching and never focusing on one thing and then giving up that opportunity to say you stood in line waiting for coffee or something Thing. well that's an opportunity to be in the very lowest gear right yeah but people don't do that anymore they're gonna oh i'm gonna go into the middle gear and i'm just gonna scroll through a news feed right now rather right than well and, and while the tv is on in fact did you guys ever see back to the future part two the uh, classic there's a so it takes place in tw far in the future in 2015 and uh <laughs> so this is a, like mid 80s right so it's like 30 years oh, in the yeah, future about that and, and so it's 2015 and there is this scene um. <laughs> oh my God! It, it, it obviously they never get the future sort of technology right, and so they they just sort of iterate on what the ever the existing technology is. So there's still fax machines and uh, televisions, but he's watching television and it's voice commanded. So it's like the sort of Siri Alexa equivalent, and he turns it on. And he has six six channels playing at once on the same TV. Uh. And that seems to be the perfect metaphor for what we're doing now. Yeah. We're listening to a podcast while on Twitter watching the television and the radios playing at the same mm -hmm. time. It's six different channels, but they're just coming from these different sources. And you're right. If there's a free moment, I will put on a podcast. And, and uh, man, I mean, there are some days because I'm extremely introverted. So I spend most of my time alone. But am I really spending my time alone? You're not alone. Yeah, and 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 so I may not be around other people where it's 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 not a two way communication, right? But it's sort of this this seeping in. Um, I remember uh, David Foster Wallace, my favorite writer. He, um, he he the reason he said he didn't have internet at home is um, he said if uh, if I can get out, they can get in, and he he didn't mean it in some like government <laughs> conspiracy way. He meant like they can get in, like uh. and. 
I'm, oh my God, you guys are blowing my mind right now because when I was 31, I did these series of weird experiments because I don't think minimalism is about deprivation, but sometimes I'll temporarily deprive myself of something to see whether or not it's truly right. adding value to my life. So what I'm thinking about right now is let's get rid of podcasts for the next week. Well, how is that going just to not hurt? mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> All of them, but mine. Yeah, yeah. or mine. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to nourish, balance, thrive, and the minimalist, and that's it. Um, and uh, no, actually, we, we, we actively encourage people to unsubscribe and unfollow us on social media. Media. Uh, it's this ongoing thing where, like, if we're not adding value to your yeah, life anymore, yeah, please yeah. don't feel compelled yeah. to do it. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, if you do feel compelled, then yeah, feel free to subscribe until you stop getting value from it. Um, that's okay too. And, and and what I'm thinking though is, when I was 31, I, I moved. I was, I was trying to get out of debt, so I moved into this really small apartment in Dayton, Ohio, second most affordable city in the country. Um, and I was a $500 apartment in a very nice neighborhood in Dayton. And um, I moved in there and I, it was uh, during the weekend. So I didn't have internet that weekend. And I, come, come Monday, I'm getting ready to call the internet company. I'm like, huh, maybe I can go without home internet for a month just to test it out, see what happens, right? No internet at home. Now, keep in mind, I, I also make a living online. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, I'll try it out for a month. And a month went by and it was the most productive month I'd ever had because a month earlier, I had, well, a couple months earlier, I guess, I, when I moved out, my, my marriage ended, um, I just never got an, another TV. I didn't bring a TV back into my life mm. and I was completely fine without it. I rediscovered these things called books <laughs> <laughs> and they're amazing. Um, and, and then I moved and I, I didn't ha have internet. And then a couple months later, I said, okay, I'm gonna go without my phone for 60 days. And the first thing you learn is there aren't very many payphones anymore. <laughs> um, but also you learn the special kind of loneliness because you come home and all the pacifiers are gone. Uh -huh. My TV isn't there. My internet isn't there. So I can't check the likes and the tweets <laughs> and, the, and the news. And then my phone isn't there. Oh my God, what am I going to do with my time? Well, I guess I'll read or I'll write. I'll create something. And it was... It was truly the most productive time in my life. Um, we wrote drafts for all four of our books. I'm, well, I have one novel and then three books that Ryan and I wrote together during this period of time, um, going without internet. And um, it started with that phone. I eventually brought the phone back into my life, but used it in a much more deliberate way, like to actually make phone calls. I mean, it's a weird thing. We call it a phone, but it's basically a pocket computer, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a distraction machine. And um, I'm, what I'm realizing right now is, wow, I am distracted in ways that, that crept back into my life. And, and it's making me start to, to reevaluate some of those distractions. So. so it's interesting to notice that you said earlier, my attention isn't as good as it was when I was 31. And then you said, when I was 31, I didn't have internet and I didn't have my phone <laughs> yeah. home. And, and all of a sudden, the pieces start to sort of fall into place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, we, it's hard to sometimes find these correlations so you step back and, and have these these conversations. I think that's why these, these kinds of conversations are so important. I, I love, I do spend about 90% of my time alone, um, but it makes the other 10 to 20% of the time where I'm with people. It makes these conversations, I have these kinds of conversations all the time. I feel like I wish I brought a microphone with me all the time because the conversations I tend to have are more meaningful as a result. We can start, uh, you know, and I'm happy to scrutinize my own life all the time and say, hey, I'm far from perfect. Let let me figure out what's wrong so I can improve on it incrementally. And it's, it's the example that you're setting for your, your kid as well. It's, it's something I think about a lot now. If you don't want your kids to spend all of their time scrolling through a newsfeed, then 
then why are you teaching them to do it by doing it yourself, right? right. You lead by example. Yeah, well, there's one thing I've been doing recently that has has helped me out a lot. Um, I wrote an essay about this. Sean, if you put a link to it in the show notes, it, it has to do with, um, you know, if if you and I are sitting at, at a table for dinner, right? All three of us are, are, are just seated at the table having dinner and I get a phone call and it's an, uh, a phone call I have to take right now. I'm going to say, excuse me while I take this phone call. And I'm going to step outside. I'll be over here and, and, and I'm going to be on the phone way over here somewhere. Right. But, but, but we don't do the same thing for text messages. Uh-huh. We just break out the phone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Keep, go ahead and keep talking to me. Uh huh. Yep, I'm just, that's fine. And, and, uh, <laughs> I'm <for> definitely the, <laughs> listening. <laughs> and for those of you watching this on the video podcast, you can see, I'm just, I just pull my phone out and, and you guys, and I'm like fake nodding. Like, uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, so what I started doing now, like there are times where I absolutely have to like write something down or something's going to break me away from the conversation. And if I know that it's essential, what I'll say is, hey, please excuse me for a minute while I take this message. Mm-hmm. And I, and it makes me realize like, okay, it, am I actually going to excuse myself from the table to do this? Yeah. I'll do this at home now too. So uh, be me and Bex and Ella, we're eating dinner together. I'll say, hey, can you excuse me for a second? I, I really need to send a message right now while I'm remembering it. Or can you excuse me for a second? I really need to go write something down so I can remember it later. Um, and that way I can be fully engaged in this conversation and people are really understanding when you do that because it's it's almost weird to them right because we become (laughs) so accustomed to having these barriers in front of us I'm just holding this machine between us and we've created these metaphorical but also literal barriers in our everyday conversations and talk about I mean the attention span now the the study I read recently and and maybe you have more information about this eight to fifty nine seconds the average American attention span so um I don't know how they measure that, but uh, I I know that that even me, I'm someone who can get pretty obsessive and deeply focused on things. I have OCD, like legitimately, will get super obsessed. I'm more obsessive than I am compulsive, but I will I, I will have tunnel vision. Whereas Ryan, if he were here today, you know, he's like, oh, a butterfly, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm OCD. He's ADD. Is the inside joke. Um, and it makes for this interesting dynamic. But but even with me, I've noticed this sort of this cultural ADD has infected me as well, right? Because it's become commonplace and it's almost like I've just followed suit mm. and it makes reading books harder. Um, it makes, it, it, it makes doing the, the prolonged, the deep work as, as Cal Newport, which I strongly recommend that book. If you haven't checked it out, it's, uh, it'll make you just sort of re-question everything that it doesn't have to do with like really hunkering down and creating the optimal space for doing the best work mm-hmm. and, and work that you can be proud of. You know, I, I look back at all the deep work I've done from years past and those are the things I'll look back on and say, oh, those are like, they're assets in a way. Like I wrote that book or we made this film and it was, yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of really focused work and there was super attention paid to that. Not perfection, but putting your best foot forward and getting into that creative state and really doing it. So I think there's something to be said for that. And and our attention is, is slowly eroding, but I don't think it has to. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is has a biological underpinning, right? Is is are we just seeing on social media, you know, the shorter and shorter videos? It used to be three minutes, wasn't it? it was the the average YouTube clip, but now, like as you say, it's like down to less than a minute now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, wonder- and there was Vine. Remember Vine? That, that yeah, platform. There were yeah. six second videos. Oh yeah. And and that that I mean, all the Vine is gone. It's essentially the same thing with Instagram and all these other uh, uh, platforms that that are like, give me. 
And, and, and by the way, it's all done so that advertisers, advertisers can aggregate more eyeballs onto their product or service, right? Right. And so give me 15 seconds of your attention right now. Right. As if it's the, it, it, but is it the most important thing in the moment? Usually not. I just want, I mean, so there's probably some sort of loop here, right? Where the, the short videos are creating its short attention span. But I wonder how much of it are other problems. Like people are not well slept. Um, they're not in a strong social support group. They're eating crappy food. They're not moving and they don't get any sunshine. And therefore all they're capable of is 12 seconds of attention or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, how much of it has a biological underpinning is my question. Yeah, yeah. And, and at least it's this downward spiral, right? That that you don't even notice that you're falling as well because yeah, yeah. We, yeah that, that, that's one of the symptoms of... Because the people uh, that make these apps, they just follow the incentives, right? They've probably got some metric on the back end there. They're doing, they call it like a multi-arm band you know it's like a randomized control trial with 800 different arms and they're like oh this is the one right let's go do that you know that they're just following what works well i've got some questions here from from our audience i figured we'd dive into some of those um natalie is asking is there a link between excess material possessions and an increase in mental health issues and so i i tweeted something about this not that long ago and uh so if we were to give a lightning round answer my, my pithy answer would be excess is a sign of instability and i had someone say well um uh as if I meant mental instability. Actually, I didn't. I think there are a bunch of other... Uh, if we Having excess means often we're instable in, in a whole bunch of areas of our life. It could be relationships. It could be health instability. It could be creative instability, career instability, financial instability. And we try to compensate. We try to fill a void by by having the material things. And and uh, you probably know about the chimp studies where um, the the if you, if you give a, a chimpanzee a banana, they eat the banana. If you give them enough, uh, uh, enough bananas for them to eat and share with the people, uh, the people, the chimps around them, um, they will share. If you give them a horde of bananas, they will fight other chimps to the death <laughs> to, to protect their horde, which is just going to rot. They're not even going to be able to eat all these bananas. And I'm wondering quite often, do we do the same thing? Do we have this sort of irrational... Uh, um, desire to to consume you know we were before we were talking about crystalia referring to consumerism as sort of the people being barracudas like being attracted to the next shiny object but do you think there's any tie to sort of this desire to increase our status or material wealth uh with mental health issues yeah i think it's difficult to figure out what's what's chicken and egg but you know you say instability i also think of uncertainty so uh, being um, anytime you're uncertain of anything, you will um, sort of hold on to anything which may give you some uncer- mm. give you some certainty, or you know you're uncertain about whether you'll need that in the future. So I'm just going to have it anyway, just in case, right? That's just, the, in case. just in case. Yeah. Um, the three but, most dangerous words in the English language. But there's um, uh, where I was going with that is somewhere that I can't remember now. So, um. <laughs> well, well, so so I actually wrote this down here. You've got um, th- this is according to the Happy Planet Index. The two least happy countries in the world are Chad and Luxembourg. So, for two utterly different reasons, I'm assuming, right? right? Chad is like talk about true instability or true yeah. uncertainty. There's a threat of violence at every moment of every day, asleep or awake, if you're living in Chad. Luxembourg is probably, I think, the richest per capita country in in the world. And they get paid the most for the least amount of work. I just read that this week, actually. Well, well, there you go. And we're talking, so there, you can have, yes, with a certain level of, of uncertainty, 
you're going to feel uh, instability. And that's probably going to lead to some sort of mental health problems as well, uh, especially uh, a dissatisfaction in life. No question about that. In fact, when you look at, at a lot of these uh, depression surveys, sadness surveys, least happy country surveys, the war-torn countries tend to be at the bottom of the list, the least happy places, right? But then there are also like these weird anomalies like Luxembourg or the United States where, where people have, uh, by and large, material wealth relative to places like Chad or Rwanda. But the, the amount of dissatisfaction, I think a lot of it has to do with, with being uh, comparing ourselves to each other, the competitive nature of consumerism in a way. Yeah, that's the thing that I, I, I was going to mention was that there are so many things that we do with our environment that creates the physiology of uncertainty so if um if it's the uh, the diet that you're eating increases uh, some kind of systemic inflammation we know that that's in certain subsets of depression you know inflammation is directly linked so if the diet is inflammatory that's going to cause um or can cause in, in susceptible people depression that makes you feel uncertain so could that then you know then in order to get some of those beneficial feelings you know retail therapy could could be one of those yeah, things that's what i was going to say so that's been in my past as well when yeah. i was feeling at my worst sat at a desk at a hedge fund with plenty of disposable income but being like death no girlfriend brain fog i would self-soothe with a lot of things including mm. retail therapy it was very easy to go onto the internet and research a new product and then buy it from amazon.com and sometimes the stuff would turn up and i wouldn't even remember what i ordered you know yeah. like even though i'd spent <laughs> two days researching it before i bought it and there's a certain amount of dread you see the box show like, up oh, and fuck. you're like like, what did I do? Yeah, like she have this really sheepish relationship with the person that took the deliveries at the, at the hedge fund, you know, because like, oh no, I guess I did do that or something else. But I self-soothe with a lot of things. I self-soothe with sugar uh, yeah. and, and the internet and bike racing and all kinds of things. It's just, uh, you know, you're, there's something wrong with you. And how do we stop that? How do we stop <laughs> the self-soothing? Like, what, what are the steps? Well, that you got, like, it's like any problem, like I said, at the beginning, you have to find out what's causing the problem in the first place. If you want to solve any problem, you have to know what caused it. I can't think of many examples. Where so you don't can just, just punish yourself because you like to do retail therapy. Figure out what it is that makes you feel the way that then needs you to do that. Is and it a sunlight deficiency? It could be a sunlight deficiency or it could be a social connection deficiency. Which is, And so that was, that was another thing that creates uncertainty is that we are wired to feel the same, to be part of a tribe. And when you're continuously exposing yourself, so social media is a perfect example to all these other people who look better or they're different. At least you know that you well, feel it's the different highlights from them. Real, right? It's not yeah. necessarily reflective of what's really going on. You're but you don't, the feel, you don't feel part of the group. You don't feel like you're the same as anybody else. And feeling different, again, that drives physiological changes again in the brain, in our immune system that then has those same downstream effects. So it could be so many different things in the environment that make you feel different or make you feel um, uncertain. And then that can can drive whatever then the, the behavior is, be it mm. shopping or buying you know, things. Simon has this really interesting technique that I think is worth mentioning. Simon is our... He's on but, your team. I've talked yeah, to him. Yeah, so we're very, I'm very lucky and I've added some quite brilliant people over the last few years. And Simon is one of them. He's a professor of public health and a performance psychologist. He works with uh, the World Tour cycling team, Team BMC. And with some of the athletes that he works with, he has them break that horrible constant comparison thing on social media by having people reach out to the person, you know? So you're seeing this highlights reel of somebody else's life. Oh, this woman is the best cyclist that ever lived. She has the nicest, cleanest bikes. Her family is so perfect. I bet she gets eight and a half hours of sleep every night. She has the most perfect diet. No, reach out to that woman, connect with her, go for a bike ride with her. 
and the chances are she's going to tell you no you're you know my life is just as much of a disaster as yours mm. it's just the only thing i post on social media is the highlights reel yeah. and, and it just breaks that illusion immediately and suddenly you get it so i know that's a technique that he uses with the people he works with that might people might find helpful yeah i think realizing that that what we see on tv and then then online is a is a construct and i think there's nothing wrong with putting your best foot forward i think quite often we want to do that like i want this to be a, a good podcast episode i want to put my best foot forward here right. but but also realizing that that's what other people are doing is they're putting their best foot forward it's not the total picture right if you pose for a picture you go to sears and they get the portraits there right they don't just say you know give me an ugly face or a scowl <laughs> they say smile right yeah. and so just realize that that's what people are doing they're posing for a picture and, and i don't think there's anything inherently wrong and these these are his words as well actually i should make clear is that there's nothing wrong with comparison per se like that's how humans make meaning of something right if you just found out i don't know maybe you play some game and you get a score you don't know what that score means until you compare it to somebody else's score and so that's how humans find meaning in anything so there's nothing wrong with comparison per se like you're going to compare yourself with somebody else on the on the internet right. well you're doing that all the time that's how we find meaning in things uh -huh. especially things with a number associated with so them. where does it go wrong because I, i'm thinking when you're comparing with someone's highlights reel all the time like this is yeah. my pr i just pr'd this deadlift <laughs> and i'm going to put it on instagram and right. you're just getting started and you can barely lift the bar in fact you're not even sure your form is right and you're a bit worried about throwing your back out yeah and here's this picture of this super muscle guy lifting 500 pounds or something and doing it flawlessly Honestly, sure like that's the this is what makes me so mad about health like health coaches performance coaches even doctors who feel the need to post naked or mm. topless selfies on social media when like literally that has never helped anybody ever i'm fairly certain it's not like, terribly inspiring it's not terribly inspiring and like that's certainly something that many people in in our company could do but it literally benefits nobody like we have everybody has a different history everybody has a, a different starting point you know there's absolutely nothing about the person looking at that that's the same as what you were at whatever given point that allows them to then use you as inspiration because everything's different so all it does is set you up for failure i just i mean the people who do that even those who are ostensibly you know helping others with their health that just makes me really mad i think that's completely unnecessary yeah but. yeah i think about my partner bex i mean she has just phenomenal genetics on top of having a she, she's a dietitian so she, she's really helped me out you know partnering with, with you all uh going through all these health problems like just having her there to be really supportive but also understanding and she understands about nutrition really well but she also has really great genetics and <laughs> and um I, I can't plan to have a six-pack abs like her even though you know it, 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 that's just obviously the lifestyle that she that she lives and leads uh lends itself to that but also a lot of it is she was born with that and she uh, unless she were really screw it up she's going to look great mm -hmm. on her own right and and i think what you're talking about is you 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 have some you know person who's posting the shirtless picture and and either a they're on you know just dramatic amounts of steroids and <laughs> that's never part of the 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 diet plan that's an, an, an exercise plan that's recommended um and, and it's a misrepresentation i think about um we're gonna go on, on this tour a three-city tour 
I've learned my lesson on the 50 city tours. We're doing, <laughs> we're doing three cities this I, time. I heard on the podcast, I said, yeah. oh no, he's going to go back to square one. Oh no, it's only three cities. Yeah. He's going to do it all in three days. It's perfect. That's right. So uh, we're, uh, it's uh, it's called the Simply Southern Tour. We're talking about money and minimalism. And uh, You minimalized your tour dates. Uh, that's, that's right. So important, yeah. and, and we're doing it in the South. Uh, Dave Ramsey, I don't know if y'all are familiar with, with, with Dave, but he's got a big radio show and, and we're going out with his team that's just talking about money and minimalism. But his daughter is doing our Nashville event with us in July. And um, she has a book called Live Your Life, Not Theirs. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry, it's actually called Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And I think that, that's, that's really what you're trying to convey here is yeah. you can look at yeah. someone else's life and you can say, oh, that's an interesting ingredient. I never thought about incorporating that into my life. That could make my life better potentially yeah. and bring that into your life. But it's really about creating your own recipe and loving your life, not, not their life. And I think that's the one thing with social media where I'm, endlessly scrolling and I'm I'm like a zombie lost in the glowing screen uh, that that's when it becomes problematic mm-hmm. um, let's see we got a, a question here from Joshua Hook Joshua asks what's the best way to support someone dealing with a serious health problem uh, for example cancer or MS or Lyme disease um, my, my pithy answer here is the road to support is paved with understanding and and I'll just expand on that a little bit I when Bex and I first started dating was sort of at the beginning of where my health was really starting to decline. And, and, and she was like, I mean, she was weary for sure. Like, what is going on? I, I really care about you. I love you, but I'm really worried about you too. But she never, she worked really hard to understand what was going on. And, and throughout all of the difficult moments, she didn't baby me or, or you know, there was no sort of infantile treatment of, of, of my symptoms or whatever but she worked really hard to understand what was going on so that she could try to sympathize with with what i was going through so for you all what what are what are some of the best ways if if joshua hook here is dealing with um a friend or a loved one who has cancer or ms or lyme disease well how what he can what can he do to best support that person well, I think a big part of it is understanding what the person's going through on a technical basis. If that person is spending a good amount of their time on the internet researching their condition, the chances are they're learning some useful information. And that we get that all the time with people we work with. They come to us and they perhaps know more about their situation than we do, mm. which is a really interesting thing. And, and I think, you know, supporting someone like that, it, that might be a helpful thing to do to, to kind of match them with that level of understanding of, of the specific condition so that you can have a, a meaningful conversation with them. You can and, be on the same page as opposed yeah, exactly. to just placating them with niceties. Yeah, you're you, actually I mean, they're going They're going to start depth. talking to you and you won't understand what the hell they're talking about. And yeah. so it's very difficult to have a conversation. And of course, you, the person who's ill will immediately pick up on that and like, oh, what's the point of talking to you? You don't even understand what I'm going through, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I think that bit might be an important thing. I, I think being... Um, being an ally in whatever it is that they're, they're trying to do is very important. So if, so say, um, all the conditions that were mentioned, you could uh, try certain lifestyle factors, be they dietary or environmental. And, you know, if, as much as you can, doing that with them, I think oh, is, yeah. is, is, so is, is super important because the, the number of times you see one person or family decides to eat a certain way 
And then the rest of the family just continues to eat the way that they were eating before. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you've just isolated this person. And then, you know, if they're dealing with um, a serious condition at the same time, plus they're being isolated, have to do everything else differently. I think that's, you know, it's very difficult to then balance out the pros um, of what they're trying to do versus the cons of then, you know, being isolated from other members of the family. So if everything can be done as a team, I think that's going to make a big difference. And then, you know, something that uh, we maybe don't do enough of is whenever somebody's really struggling to deal with something uh, and they tell you about it uh, you know there's, there's uh, people are kind of split into two groups but but half say if it's 50% of people will, will try and offer solutions so if somebody's really struggling with something be it you know, so say it's a, a disease and, and they're sort of off, they just need to offload to talk about it and then they don't necessarily need solutions from you. They just need to know that you're there for them. So you just need to say, man, that really sucks. I'm sorry. And so rather than trying That's to... That's such a problem I have is... is and I, I know this, I, I've gotten way better, and especially in my current relationship, but I'm a problem solver. Yeah. And so like, I just want to show up and say, well, here's the seven steps to fix exactly what... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Beck's like, hey, shut the fuck up and listen to me. For yeah. a minute. I just want you to listen. And I think that that is so key. Like sometimes it's just listening and, and, and not just nodding your head along and say, uh-huh, uh-huh. But like, but, but, but trying to understand what they're going through just by listening. Yeah. And if they, if they really want some solutions, they'll, they'll ask for them. They'll ask, yeah. yes. <laughs> Joshua Hook also asked, um, how can we take responsibility for our health but not obsess about it? And, and my short answer to this is obsession is helpful until it's no longer useful. <laughs> Like sometimes I actually think obsession can be, can, can, for me, I got really, when we first started talking, I got really obsessed with, okay, I need to fix this, right? Mm. But there's a certain level of obsession that is endless rumination that doesn't do anybody any good. It's just me being neurotic about, uh, about it. Having so, the same thought over and over again, right? You're just going around in circles. Exactly. And so, so there was a level of obsession that allowed me to get really deep and, and get committed to fixing this, I think. But, but, uh, but there becomes a, a time where it's like, okay, I know what I need to do now. I can give myself permission to, to stop obsessing over it or, or um, this, this endless worry. You know, get, uh, If you give up worry, there's nothing to worry about would be another pithy answer for you. <laughs> um, what do you guys think about that? I, I, personally, I found habits incredibly useful. There's a, a really good book by Charles Duhigg that Simon often recommends to our clients on why habits are important, how you form them. And then you don't, you just don't think I do stuff without thinking about it. Like if someone was to observe me from the outside during my day, they'd be like, that's weird. Like, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Why is he eating this? Like, why did he go to bed so early? Why did he have dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> those are not conscious decisions that my family is making every day. All those things are now on autopilot, mm. right? So the, the premise of the book is, oh, you probably remember a time when you reversed your car out the driveway and it took an awful lot of... Uh, the, the prefrontal cortex, right? You're using higher order reasoning to understand how to get this thing out into the road. And then, you know, the 10th time you do it, it's on autopilot and you right. can have your kid in the back talking to you and listen to the radio whilst reversing the car out. And, and so the same is true of anything. You can put these things onto a habit. So they're basically on autopilot, you know? Yeah. So every time I boil the kettle, I do 10 press-ups and it's just something that happens automatically. I'm not depleting willpower in order to make that happen. So um, yeah, habits to me are, are, are really useful. The, the way that I approach, it, I guess, it's probably similar to one of your pith, like your your pithy response, and which is that I think you should fix the things that you can fix or that you're willing to fix, and then don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, for instance, uh, one thing that uh, I've done recently is I bought a reverse osmosis water filter for my house because I'm fairly concerned about some of the things that end up in the municipal water supply. Okay, and I am willing 
to buy a water filter so that most of the water that I drink is filtered. The other water that I drink out in the world, don't worry about it. I have literally no control over that. I've right. done I've done the 80% or more. I know that's going to have a net benefit. The other stuff, just don't worry about it. And I think you can apply that to pretty much everything, be it your food or you know other aspects of your environment you know fix what you can fix and what's easy and what it, you're willing to fix and then beyond that i really you know it's definitely not worth worrying about it and worrying about it is gonna is actually gonna be is actually gonna be detrimental yeah it's the old serenity prayer i grew up catholic and like my mom used to always you know have her rosary beads out and praying me uh, give me the the courage to change the things like can change yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, exactly yeah, right. I, mean, yeah. I think it's the same thing and that is filtered water by the way so so you're safe you're, you're safe with us but, but i wasn't but i wasn't here. worried about it um <laughs> is, is something that's not under our control anymore is is wi-fi right so we we work mm. with a lot of people that are worried about that but there's not a great deal that you can do if yeah. you live in la for example in london yeah. you know you put on your phone and there's like 25 wi-fi networks so even if you could turn it off you can move out to your house, basically. Yeah, you can. We did. My Wi-Fi signal is the only signal, but then you might create a social isolation problem, right? So it's like, which is the worst thing? But yeah, understanding what's under your control, mm -hmm. I think is very important. Ruffalo asks, how can I safely recover from burnout? Um, my pithy answer is uh, ex extinguish the fire before rebuilding your home. <laughs> I, I, I think that's one thing that, that I did struggle with when you and I first talked was like... Um, uh, I, I didn't feel like I was burnt out, even though maybe I was mm. to a certain degree, um, because I, you know, was uh, I was moving from inertia, right? And so, like, I was still continuing to, oh, well, yeah, of course, we'll go on another 50-city tour. It's not a problem. And then I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, like, if I really want to get this under control, mm. I, I, I do need to put out the fire before I start rebuilding mm. this, this home, right? Um, there's a line from... Um, our book, Everything That Remains. Uh, it's actually in the documentary. There's a scene. I'm out in the, the salt flats and I'm reading from it. Um, it my, my marriage ends. My mom dies. And, and the line from the book is, even while Rome is burning, there's somehow time for shopping at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> and and th that was the thing. Like, And I have nothing against Ikea. It's completely fine if you want you know, cheap, breakable furniture. But um, the... the, 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 the <laughs> the 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 um the problem with ikea wasn't ikea the problem was me it was like there's all the the house is still burning and right. i'm trying to rebuild it as as you know i'm not dealing with the actual problem i'm covering up by buying the nice accoutrements that are going to make my new space look you know uh hospitable i guess so how do you all, uh, when you talk to folks about burnout, what do you talk about? I mean, you, you often hear this term adrenal fatigue, which I think is overused. Uh -huh. um, and, and I think there is a such thing as you know, um, uh, adrenal fatigue, but, but I think we often use it as, um, uh, we use it to just explain exhaustion. And, and can, you, can you maybe differentiate? Oh, uh, yeah. So adrenal fatigue is a. Is a um it's a very it's, well. It's now the artist formerly known as adrenal fatigue. We now, don't say that. Anymore. We don't. We don't say that anymore. We call it um, uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction, which is a lot more of a, a mouthful. But um, it, it's interesting because um, the the original thought process, which came uh, largely from work by Hans Selye, who was a, a, a physiologist who essentially they say would have won a Nobel Prize if he hadn't come up with this idea. Um, but um, it basically eventually you know so if, if you're stressed you make cortisol that's your stress hormone and then eventually you get to a point where you make so much cortisol that your adrenals get fatigued and they stop being able to make cortisol and that, i've heard people refer to this as hypocortisolism yes so there is a thing there are there is a thing called hypocortisolism um in in like there is uh, something uh, 
which is very dangerous called Addison's disease, where basically your adrenal um, your adrenal glands for various uh, potential reasons just stop making cortisol at all, and that you know can lead to death very quickly. Um, but you know when you look at but in reality, like your um, your adrenals could still make cortisol if they were given the right inputs, right? It's not that they just don't work anymore. It's for some reason your body has decided that making more or less cortisol isn't a good idea. And that's there's many different inputs into that system. And that was a problem I had when we did those first tests. My, my yeah. cortisol levels were, so were really low. So low cortisol is a, is a real thing and it does make people feel bad, but there's nothing wrong with your adrenal glands no, right? and when like, people are fatigued they may have you know they may have high cortisol they may have low cortisol they may we, there are lots of different tests you can do where you try and stimulate the adrenal glands to make cortisol and people who have fatigue some of them are high some of them are low you know it you cannot just say it, it, it's adrenal fatigue it may you know in some cases there may be low cortisol being produced but again you have to work your way back it's not just because they're tired right? right there's some kind of reason why why that why that's happening hmm. okay so so if if someone's dealing with burnout, um, what 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 do you recommend to them? I mean, it's, I, it's my default answer, isn't it? You have to understand what caused the burnout in the first place, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, you know, complete. So completely taking a step back, what we like to do is is look inside. So we do do a fair amount of testing. We've actually reduced the amount of testing that we do up front because so much of the the stuff that benefits people is. The, the the lifestyle interventions you know mm -hmm. we talk about diet and sleep and you know so stress is super important like where are your stresses coming from you know many people their stressor may be that cognitive middle load like they're just 12 hours a day at work just continuously never processing anything properly but it's just like stuff is coming in continuously that's a stressor on the body mm. so figuring out where you know what the issue is and then also figuring out what it is that you can actually stop doing or you don't need to do or what you can change and actually for you know a, a lot of us feel like all the stuff that we do is super essential but in reality that's that's not really true and i'm sure it's the case for everybody in this room even though we feel like we're maybe good at handling our priorities you know there's always going to be stuff that that's going to be a drain that you don't really need to do so so um like like you've both said essentially you um find out what the main issues are and you can't um, you can't rebuild while it's still on fire, right? You need right. to step back, you know, fix everything and allow yourself that time. So people often get stressed about, oh my God, I'd, my work, you know, this is caused by work, but I, I have to work and, you know, otherwise I can't pay the bills. And so then more stresses creep in when you're trying to fix things because, you know, the things mm -hmm. that you're trying to fix are the things that you need to do. So, you know, yeah. giving yourself uh, permission uh, and time to do some of that is, is, is super important. I wrote an essay recently called Essential, Non-Essential and Junk. And it, it started with like talking about the material things in our life. The average, average American household has 300,000 items in it. Wow. Um, uh, that's according to LA Times. And, and um, I think when we look at that stuff, we, we, we tend to think it's all essential. Mm -hmm. Or at least like it's going to add some value to my life. Even if not now, someday in some far off, non-existent hypothetical future, I'll somehow magically start getting value from that Just thing. Case. Yeah, yeah. That thing that's in my <laughs> attic, it will all of a sudden like seep into my house and start adding value but i think the truth is there are some things that are truly essential and, and most of us have the same baseline essentials the the specifics vary but housing and clothing and food and and, and you know hygiene products like there are certain things that that um we, we can say, all right, these are what we perceive to be essentials. And they'll change from person to person somewhat. Um, but there are true essential items. 
then there are these non-essentials, the things that truly add value to our lives. Like we have these microphones right now. I could live without these microphones, but it's going to be a lot harder for us to make a high quality podcast without them. Right. This, but they are non-essentials to me. Um, and I have to recognize that, but they add value to my life. The third, and I think most of the things that we own should, should fit in that non-essential category. We bring them in deliberately because we know they're going to serve some sort of purpose or they bring us joy in some way. And the third category is this, the junk. The things that we pretend add value, but they don't actually add value or we're, things we're holding on to just in case or the things I might as well store because I don't want to deal with it right now or whatever it might be. And I think the same as what you were just saying uh, holds true for the, the stuff that we're dealing with, the stressors in our life, right? There are some essential stressors and that, that maybe we have to keep those around, but then what are the things that are non-essential that we can remove for a temporary period of time and then once we're recovering we can maybe bring them back in individually slowly and then what's the junk that we never have to want to bring back into our lives ever again you know, gossip is one i think about you know that that is there, there was an evolutionary imperative for gossip it probably helped us evolve to to where we are today but it doesn't mean it's necessary in my life anymore and so i've completely removed that from my life because i don't I, I don't get any value from it whatsoever. That's a stressor that is no longer there anymore. Jealousy is something that, yeah, we probably evolved to need a jealousy over a period of time, but it's not something that I find to be a particularly useful emotion now. And so I've decided, why don't I just consider that junk and get rid of it? And I think that that helps me deal with, with some of the burnout. But I think I'm going to go back and, and sort of reassess, like, what are the things that are stressing me out? And what are those, what are those stressors or junk? Mm -hmm. And how can, I, how can I get rid of those? Um, Jason asks, why do we seem to have more health problems than ever before? Is it pesticides, hormones, antibiotics, sugar, something else? Yes. All, yeah, I was going to say, it's all of those and probably a hundred more things that we've not... <laughs> that not we even. can't measure or that we aren't measuring or that we don't know about. You mentioned inflammation earlier. Yeah. Um, and I know that I had... Uh, uh, in fact, I'm still doing the curcumin uh, supp yeah. su supplements. Um, and we're going to... I think we have a question here about supplements somewhere. And we'll deal with that. But... Um, uh, inflammation is something that we hear about, but it's something that we haven't talked a whole lot about as a culture until recently. But now we're hearing more and more about it. So can we talk about what we mean when we, when we hear this, this sort of catch-all term of inflammation? So it's basically your body responding to, some, to something. And usually, uh, traditionally, it's a good thing, right? So if you get a cut in your foot, that area becomes inflamed mm -hmm. and that's your uh, immune system responding, making sure it cleans out any junk that may have gotten in and then starts to, you know, initiate the the, the process of repair. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, there, there are some um, you know, very smart people who say that we shouldn't, you know, be against inflammation. You know, everybody's like, it talks about inflammation being a bad thing. And it's, it's usually not, it's, it's the, the process is beneficial. However, in the setting of a continuous stressor which produces continuous inflammation then we know that that's when you start to see issues and it can be you know pretty much anywhere like we talked about the fact that it can affect the brain um you know spots in the body where you have continuous inflammation so um you know might then cause uh, a cancer because there's like a continuous re repair process can, can you know cells continuously being damaged and having to be repaired that can be a trigger for something like a, a cancerous growth so um it's it's any uh, response of the body to something which it perceives to be foreign and it could be bacteria or or something else 
Um, and it's usually a good thing, but when you don't remove what's causing it, then it can cause issues. And it seems that we're highly inflamed these days. I know I was, and, and, and taking some of these supplements actually helped. Those are the first things that, that I had taken that, that and by the way, you all had me on a supplement regimen that was terrifying. Um, <laughs> There, there was a, Sorry. There, <laughs> but it was extremely helpful. I mean, in fact, yeah. uh, things got worse before they got better at, at, at some points, especially with once we fixed the gut thing and then we went to the mercury stuff. Uh, so, so when we did the heavy metals test, I had really high levels of mercury, mm-hmm. really high levels of strontium because it was in a damn supplement that yeah. I was taking. Um, and uh, I had decently high levels of arsenic and I think cadmium and, 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 um, and, and so in dealing with that, we did this whole chelation therapy and it was a bunch of supplements. There was one point I was taking 112 pills a day, um, and which was a lot of fun, like just That's carrying intense. these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, like I said, you know, I, I was, well, I was laser focused and, and, uh, I think there was maybe one day where I missed one of my three rounds. You see, this is why thing. we recommended the full ball protocol that <laughs> we would not suggest this to somebody. Yeah, that, most people. And you know, so most of this is with the intention of you get to the point where you don't need any supplements, right? That's, right, that's, right. that's part of the goal. Yeah. 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 And, and so right now I, I'm taking fewer supplements than I had in the last two years, but there's still, you know, there's a multivitamin and a curcumin yeah. stuff that I take. But but for the most part, I'm not taking the, the whole litany of, like, I used to have pockets full of pills, but there was a period where I actually, I got, I was getting worse because that chelation therapy, I mean, and, and you can talk about the, the science behind it, but you can't just go in your body and say, okay, body, please remove the mercury, uh-huh. but I'd like to keep the zinc and the selenium and all the good stuff. Mm. If you could just leave that in there, that'd be great. And so I think my immune system was pretty radically compromised last winter. Um, I, I had a tour stop in um, Washington, D.C., and I couldn't leave my hotel room. In fact, I, I was going to go to the hospital. I was too felt too ill to leave my hotel room. Well, I ended up having hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is what usually four-year-olds have, and my four-year-old had it, and I caught it because I think my immune system was relatively compromised at the time. And I basically spent all winter last winter relatively sick dealing, and I think a lot of it had to do with my immune system was pretty affected by the this chelation therapy and we did uh the 10-day fast Mm. that i only lasted six days and one hour on um but there were a lot of things that that um that i did that actually you know it was getting worse uh, expelling the the toxins for and i know that has become a woo-woo word and and we don't mean it in any sort of (laughs) woo-woo way but uh there was a lot of getting worse before before getting better and i think i think inflammation was a big part of that but then it, it was also this these the these toxins that were in my body can we talk a little bit about toxins mm. so the analogy uh, that i like to use for that kind of process is um if you looked at heart surgery right in the middle, it would look like murder, right? <laughs> then towards the end, it looks a lot better, right? Once you've been sewn back up. So that that does tend to happen sometimes. And you're right. So uh, detoxing and toxins are the super non-specific thing that um, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to do a, a, a detox, which doesn't really mean anything. However... Yeah, you have people drinking like juices with 50 grams of sugar and say I'm yeah, detoxing. Yeah, I'm detoxing. Which, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But but there are, you know, if you find um, something specific and, you know, you can test for many of them and we have various ways to do that and you have um, some good data on how you might be able to reduce the body's burden of that, which we also have uh, good data on, then in a very 
targeted specific way you you can do that and mm -hmm. mercury is one of the things so the strontium unfortunately we we don't know how to get that out and that's just that's in your bones until they turn over in about seven years time i think chris was, yeah, we were was saying this, so, yeah. we were talking about this the other day so um so not please much don't we, take a, i mean this is important right so you yeah. should talk about how the strontium ended up in the supplement in the first place yeah. and why it shouldn't be there anymore this is a this is a supplement for for bone strength and um, so I remember I, I, uh, when I was working um, in, in a hospital in, in London for um, elderly patients with osteoporosis, some of them would get, um, I would prescribe strontium. And strontium basically goes into the bones, um, you know, where you'd have calcium. And what it does is it makes the bones look really good on a bone scan, but absolutely does nothing for their strength. So oh. we kind of feel better because they look better, but actually it doesn't really, really help you at all in terms of the strength of the bones. It's the so, ultimate placebo where you, you yeah. get the, the ostensible um, uh, uh, result that's measurable, but it's not actually doing something. Yeah, so this is actually, you know, it goes back to what you were talking about right at the beginning, which is the importance of the subjective experience. So we can talk all day about test results, but what you really want is to wake up with a boner, right? That's like, <laughs> that's the holy grail. And like, no matter what the test results say, if that's happened, then, you know, there's there's a big win there. So, right. um, so, so, so that's the strontium. But with the um, with the, the mercury, uh, there's some, we know um, that basically there's no amount of mercury that's okay. Basically, you can get effects at any level, and the amount that it affects a given person, you know, depends on a, a whole number of things. But we also know that there's where the exposures are. It can be so uh, exposures from fish is a big one. Although some of the benefits of fish seem to negate some of the negative side effects of the mercury. So that's kind of like a fifty-fifty. Um, that's through the selenium content of the fish. Yeah, selenium content of the fish. It helps um, produce glutathione, which is one of the main antioxidants. Um, that we use to to buffer various uh, uh, toxins, and so that you know overall, there's there's definitely a net benefit of seafood, even if it does have some mercury in it. But and then it, and it matters the type of fish as well. So Joshua yeah. was eating some big fish, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I was, and, and I was, and I think the quantity as well. I mean, once or twice a day, every single day, it was tuna or yeah, mahi mahi, tuna or, sashimi, um, twice a day. Yeah, that's going to be bad. Pretty yeah, quickly. yeah, yeah. I mean, or even canned tuna. Like yeah. it was all. I mean, and and, and so I had to do with the, the quantity. Mm -hmm. But, but also that I had these metal amalgams in my mouth, which I had taken out. I sent you my dentist information because uh, uh, I know that like that's one thing that I wanted to be really careful because, and we did three different mercury tests because I did it after the, the we did the whole sort of cleanse, the, the um, chelation therapy and all the supplements and my mercury was an acceptable level. It worked level. really well, didn't it? Yeah. We were amazed at how well that worked. And, and, yeah, it absolutely worked. And he had all these powders and all this crazy stuff, but it all it all worked. This magic potion, uh, <laughs> I think it was six, six times a day. I promise I was, it was very highly scientific with at least one reference for each thing. <laughs> no, at least yeah. one study for each thing. No, you sent me yeah, all the studies. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing around. Um, the, yeah, there was, there was nothing magic about it. Um, but, uh, and then I knew I wanted to get the metals out on I mean, A, they're ugly, but, but I, I didn't care as much about that, but I wanted to make sure that someone who was going to do it where it didn't leach back into my body. That right. was, that was mm. the primary concern. And so we did a third test and then the mercury was even lower after that. And I've even reintroduced some fish back into my diet, not twice a day, but maybe twice a month where, where I, I felt good enough that I, I felt like I could bring that back in now. And, and so having those removed and then having removed it from my body and now just 
consuming a responsible amount, an appropriate amount of fish is right. It seems to be what what was. Uh, I mean, it, it was a long road to fix it, but I'm, I'm glad we did, and I'm, right. I'm going to take steps to not get, go back down that path. Mm-hmm. You see how important it is to understand what's causing the problem. If you've gone to some the IV chelation therapist, they said, "Oh yeah, no problem. I can get that mercury out, no problem at all." But if you haven't stopped eating pilot whale and you've still got a mer- mouthful of mercury amalgams, then yeah. What's going to stop that problem from coming right back six weeks later? Yeah, yeah. And so I uh, immediately had those taken out right after we did the second test. And then we did the the follow-up test a few months later to make sure everything was was gone and and the levels are great yeah so so thank you, you see all how for much that. willpower he's got by the way, <laughs> like, i still have a, a mouthful of metal amalgams because i find the idea of going paying i mean how much did you pay to have your mercury amalgams removed? <clears throat> i mean it was hundreds of dollars but it, oh yeah. hundreds yeah yeah it wasn't going to tell me ten thousand no 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 okay. no no it was not even a thousand dollars oh uh, really okay yeah. so i'm a little bit less frightened now but yeah i mean so i've still got a mouthful of mercury and you've got one i got mer- one yeah that i got when i was a med student because i couldn't afford the fancy thing yeah. <laughs> that's really sad well that's a perfect metaphor is like if we don't pay for something now we end up paying for yeah, it yeah, tenfold exactly, in yeah. the future uh-huh. and not not just monetarily but worrying about it yeah. and, and like uh, neurosing over the thing and so it's best to take care of it now uh let's see we got some more questions here shane asks i'm trying to figure out how to deal with chronic fatigue syndrome okay well we just talked about fatigue um and, and maybe I could even ask this question about myself too. So he said, I've read it involves gut health, but a discussion would be great. So chronic fatigue syndrome, we were kind of talking about that with adrenal fatigue here. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to be the same thing, but via a different name. Um, I mean, we, we have these names. In fact, I think when he actually submitted this question, he used several other acronyms that I just edited out. But, but um, Yeah, so you might call it myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is ME. It's also the same thing first. Okay. Fatigue. Yeah, yeah, so, so uh, with me, I, the one thing I do notice now is that I am... I, I tend to sleep, uh, I sleep about eight, sometimes nine hours a night now, which is the first time my life I've ever done that. I go to bed really early. Like Ella will be in bed by eight and I like to go to bed around eight if possible. Uh, <laughs> I I, same thing. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I still like to get up early, right? And so um, it doesn't always work out that way, but um, I, I do I do get minimum seven hours a night unless I, I can't help it. Like this morning is a good example. So the last four nights in a row, I've got this, this tracker ring, so it tells me, how shitty my sleep is on, on nights like last night. Um, but the last four nights, I had nine hours every single night, um, which is great. I, I would wake up yeah. really refreshing this morning. I woke up at four and I knew, I just knew that this is it. Like I am wide awake. Yeah. I'm, I can lay in bed for the next three hours, but it's not going to, to get up. Uh, I'm not going to like like uh, magically go go back to sleep. So I might as well get up and, and get some writing done. And, and so... There are times where I, I can fall asleep like that. I don't have a problem with insomnia necessarily. But I, the days like today, I know I will be really tired midday and I'll end up taking a nap. But there are some days, even when I get nine hours of sleep, where I'm like, oh, I'm still tired. So where do I go from here? Like if, if I'm tired midday, I mean, yeah, maybe a nap is the answer. Yeah, so I mean, naps can be fabulous things, and definitely take advantage of them if, if you can. But the so going back to the the chronic fatigue piece, it, it used to be this thing where you'd be tested for all this stuff, and then be like, well, we don't know what it is, but you're tired, so we'll call it chronic fatigue. And now there's there's been some fairly um, interesting research, at least that that basically brings it all back to the function of the mitochondria. So the the mitochondria are um, these organelles inside your cells that basically 
the, in the simplest form, they make all of your energy, right? Mm. And if the thing that makes your energy doesn't make energy very well, then you don't have very much energy. That's kind of but it's sense, important to it? mention that a lot of other really interesting things start in the mitochondria, like hormone production, yeah. and heme production, yeah. right, for hemoglobin to transport oxygen. So no mitochondria in your proper fact. Yeah. So if you want to, so if you want to make cortisol, or any of your hormones, the, the first step happens in the happens in the mitochondria. Um, so basically, you know, so much stuff, so much stuff happens there, and then well, what is it that makes your mitochondria function less well? And it could be any kind of, um, so it, it could be in the gut because then like we talked about um, whether things are coming across that you don't want to come across or you know there's some infection in there that's causing issues, you know, some kind of um, systemic infection or again, chronic inflammation. So some response to something that where you're not getting rid of the source that can affect mitochondrial function. Uh, certain toxins can affect mitochondrial a function. simple nutrient deficiency. Nutrient deficiencies can affect mitochondrial dysfunction. So, um, statins. Oh, yes, oh statins. A, yeah, a, a, a drug. The, statins are a mitochondrial to, toxin. Um, yeah. so, so I guess uh, the, there's two parts to this. So the first part is, if you're trying to deal with chronic fatigue syndrome, try as best as you can to figure out what it is that caused it. Mm -hmm. And it could be dietary, environmental, um, pharmaceutical, um, and then the next step is uh, when you're when you're starting to recover, it's always important to to balance your efforts. So what's very common in in, in patients with chronic fatigue is they feel great on one day. They're like I feel great today. I'm going to go for a run, and then they overdo it, and then they crash, and then they have then they're fatigued for days uh, on an end on end until they start to feel better again. And then when they feel better, then they do loads. So so the the important thing is to do. Pretty much, if you can make yourself do the same amount every day, to, regardless of what it is, be that exercise or activities of daily living or work, so that on the days where things feel a bit harder, you make sure you're still doing the same amount. On the days when you feel really great, just enjoy the fact that you feel great, but don't overdo it because That's, then you cause those cycles. In fact, Chris, early on, you you told me like because um, I'm not especially active. I'm certainly not an athlete, but during these times of of trying to get better, you were like, I think you need to exercise a little bit less. Yeah. Which was a weird thing to hear, right? Because we, it's, it's sleep, it's diet, and it's exercise. And you're like, I think maybe you need to eat a little bit more. I'm like, w wait a minute, like, <laughs> what, what's going on? Um, and and um, so I started tracking my calories, and realized we actually realized I didn't have to eat anymore because I was getting a substantial enough amount of calories and a really healthy, you know. Uh, fat a lot of fats in my diet so i had a, a decent number of calories but um the exercise i didn't feel like i was like i wasn't out running marathons i don't run at all but but you know just simple stuff especially while i was recovering you're like ah it's too many pull-ups you're doing every day or you're doing way too many push-ups every day and let's scale that back a little bit but the consistency is also the key where it's like and there will be days like today where I'm like, ah, I'm tired, screw it. I won't do, I won't mm -hmm. do the, the, you know, I'll, I'll wait till the day where I'm feeling better and then I'll just double up on everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that, that, that is key. I'll have to make sure that I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm still relatively consistent, but, but more consistent and also dialing back on days where you, I don't have to go balls to the wall every enjoy uh, that all. you have more in the tank like yeah. I did what I normally do and I could have done so much more but I didn't need to because yeah. you know I'm going to do some tomorrow that's, yeah. that's important that's great that's great alright um, let's see what else we got here Shane that's your question Dina says what's the safest way to detox from heavy metals on your own um, my response to the, my pithy answer was even LeBron James can't win alone uh, <laughs> this was proven recently and 
as he was swept in the finals. Well, he couldn't win even with teammates. So. <laughs> well, he was pretty much alone. He dragged four <laughs> crackheads to the finals. Um, uh, but uh, but I think you need. I mean, you, you can uh, reach out to the Nourish Balance Thrive guys, and, and and they can help point you in the right direction, or find someone locally who's who's going to help you through this. But I think doing it alone is probably, yeah. man, that's. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tough. You don't have to work with us, but I would recommend finding a coach or a clinician to help you. I mean, there's so many things that I don't know anything. Like, I mean, you just said a bunch of words I don't understand. If I was like had to understand that tomorrow, then I'd probably go and find someone that understood it and have them help me rather than trying to figure it out the right. hard way by myself. And is that was, basketball? That, oh, was it? Is that a sport? Yeah. Oh, LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad with American sports. I don't even know which sport is which. But yeah, so I would find someone to help you. You're right. But having said that, the closest we've got is Brian Walsh is a naturopathic doctor from Maryland that we've worked with quite closely. He's another one of the, the shoulders that we've been standing on over the past few years. And he does a fantastic job of teaching both biochemistry uh, and physiology. And he has a, a detox course that's incredibly evidence-based. Yeah. He has I, references I, that's what I did. That's yeah, part of my Mercury done, Detox. Yeah, so that's yeah. available as a training course. If you go to, if you just Google his net, oh no, don't go to metabolicfitnesspro.com. We'll put a link down in the show notes too, Sean. Yeah, forward slash detox, I think it is. And then there's a, he has two courses, one for clinicians and, and one for patients. And you can't, it's not easy to do without a coach because it's just, I mean, as you know, it's incredibly involved. It involves yeah. uh, sauna, uh, time-restricted feed, Eating, yeah. um, so let's talk about both of those real quick. Uh, okay, all right, yeah, sorry. So, so, so sauna um, <coughs> is something I do pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, unless I have some sort of cold, I'm just getting over a cold from this past weekend. But um, I'm all fine today, so don't don't worry. But um, uh, I, 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 the sauna was one thing that that you recommended early on, and I really started. That that was one thing. What what are the benefits? And also, I've been doing cold plunge or cold shower. But but there's a, a nice pl- a place here that does a cold plunge. So oh, cool. I do that. So uh, you know, I, I I can talk a little bit about heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. <laughs> but but beyond that, I I yeah. start to get lost really quickly. So what what are the benefits? I well, uh, for in terms of detox and, and and I also think it's one of the things that really helps with my back considerably. Uh, yeah. So um, Stefan Genus, not genius. Genius. <laughs> Dr. Genius um, has some really useful resources online. He's from, where's he from? He's from Canada, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, he's he's published a number of studies that show that metals are preferentially excreted in sweat. Some metals are... Some uh, metals. Are preferentially excreted in sweat. Cadmium is the, I think, is the, the main one. Mercury, some too. But so there's two parts. There's some things that, are, that you excrete mainly through sweat. And mm-hmm. it's very rare that people who aren't exercising heavily nowadays sweat a lot because you're inside air conditioning all that kind of stuff people don't like to sweat so that's that's definitely one benefit there's some things that you're going to get out there's some um sort of what we call them persistent organic pollutants they're basically um you know some some uh uh, synthetic compounds that only come out uh through sweat so that's that's one benefit uh particularly in the in the in a hot so there are two types of sauna there's the infrared sauna which is basically red light they're less hot but they they make you sweat a lot Mm -hmm. um but they don't make yeah but they don't sort of cause this heat stress mm-hmm. um whereas if you look at the the, the sort of the hot sauna it's like a, a scandinavian dry sauna yeah, yeah, where it's really it. hot um that also has a number of cardiovascular benefits so a lot of studies done in in finland basically show that the more often you sauna like a dose response you know the lower risk you look your risk of heart disease stroke type 2 di- 
type 2 diabetes. There's even been studies done on heating people up actually in a hot bath rather than a sauna, but um, people with type 2 diabetes and their blood sugar um, regulation improves. So there's kind of both the, the detox benefits, which you could get from either type of sauna, and then there's the sort of the metabolic health benefits, which we think are probably going to come more from that kind of heat stress. So so at least two times a week, usually three or four times a week, I try to do 25 minutes in a 200 degree sauna and, uh, and then do a, a cold plunge or a cold shower afterward. And um, I can tell you that the first time I went, like, you're right, I, I wasn't used to sweating. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, and I don't, I didn't like just sweat normally. Like I'm not, I don't have overly active sweat glands. I took Ryan to cryotherapy a few weeks ago. He was sweating in the cryo chamber. I mean, just like, just sweating. And like, I, I don't get that way. Right. Um, but, um, when, when the first time I went, I was in the sauna It's 200 degrees. I'm in there for five minutes, nothing, 10 minutes, nothing. 12 minutes, I get this one little <laughs> r- runnel of, of sweat on my forehead. And then all of a sudden it starts coming. And, and I realize like, oh shit, I haven't, I haven't actually sweated in the last decade. Uh-huh. It's been a decade since I've had a, uh, cause I used to play basketball in high school and stuff and, and I sweat all the time then, but I had the corporate life and then I would sweat occasionally, but not a real like heavy sweat. And I swear to you, it was like I was sweating chalk dust or or, or something <laughs> weird. Like, yeah. and and the stuff that was coming out of my pores. And now I do it every day, uh, not every day, but uh, every week. And and it's just become a regular routine. It's, it's habitual now. And the benefits from that are that yeah, I feel that that uh, my back and my muscles are, are, are a lot better. But I'm certain that that one of the biggest things for the whole detox that I did had to do with with the the sauna heavy Mm -hmm. sauna protocol yeah so uh yeah i would say don't go at it alone dina can can i just add that the best sauna is the one that you've got access to yeah this question a lot like oh is infrared better than dry heat i we don't care sauna is better than you you've kind of i mean and so this is a very brian thing as well like i'm not going to even answer that question you've missed the point like the point is to sweat i don't really care how you do it right right and then if you have access to both and congratulations pick one that that you that you'll do the most often yeah and go with that. All right, uh, Joanne says, "What are your thoughts on on the low carb and ketogenic and whole thirty diets?" My wife's in How the middle many? of a whole thirty right now. She's uh, on Facebook uh, in a support group. So, so what is the whole thirty diet? I, I, I it's don't our know default approach. That was the the first thing that I did. So whole thirty is a version of what we might call a paleo template. So it's this idea of trying to recreate a diet that was eaten ten thousand years ago when we were hunter gatherers and before farming and grains and all of that right and it focuses on micronutrients so every time you put something into your mouth like i was with a friend the other day and they were spoon feeding a baby just boiled pasta and I, and the thing that made me cringe the most was not the gluten it was just a missed opportunity for micronutrition right you know, we talked about how a, a simple nutrient deficiency can cause mitochondrial dysfunction well you're just putting empty carbs into your mouth with literally zero micronutrients unless the flour was fortified which i guess they're obliged to do by law right yeah. oh uh, gosh yeah, so, so that that's interesting the gluten thing like we've demonized gluten and i think it's probably good but not for the right we are not we're not demonizing for the right reasons the the, the the real reason to demonize is like we're 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 missing out on all these nutrients because we're just stuffing our face with these sort of empty calories yeah. and empty carbs, right? Right. right. Yeah. So so whole thirty is uh, focus on minimally processed, micronutrient dense foods. 
you remove sugar. So for many people, myself included, when I first came to this, I was utterly hooked on sugar. Yeah. And couldn't really go more than about an hour without eating. And yeah. so remo- ripping that Band-Aid off quickly and removing all the sugar can be really helpful for people. And Did you get headaches and stuff at first? Uh, yeah, I was just really hungry was like the main thing for me. I was just so... And then it completely preoccupies you. You can't think about anything but, but eating. You moved over... I mean, I don't think you're on a ketogenic diet now, but you've... you've yeah, you've, so I've gone... You've explored, so ketogenic diet is, is a high fat, really low carb and moderate, moderate protein. protein. That's right, yeah. So the, Whole30 was where I started and I found that tremendously helpful. And, and like I said, my wife who coaches the athletes that we work with, she's doing one at the moment, just sort of mostly in support of her friends, I think in Santa Cruz. But, um, you know, it's, it's very sustainable. You can go back and do it again and again. And in fact, my diet now would be completely Whole30 compliant. And we really like the book. It starts with food. It's very, very accessible. Mm. If you're completely brand new or you, you want to try and encourage somebody to get involved and they're, and they're totally brand new. It starts with food by Melissa um, Hartwig, Melissa Hartwig is, is very, very good. And they have some fantastic re- uh, resources on their website, whole30.com, things like shopping lists and meal plans and you know, eat this, don't eat that type resources that you, you need in the beginning. So I find it very sustainable. One of the things they sell the program on is it's only 30 days, right? It's like the greasy used car salesman pitch. Well, can you do it for 30 days? A bit like you did with Ryan, right? Yeah. Like, I bet you, how long can you do this for? Well, I guess it's a bit different is that there's a, a definite end to the program. And, and you realize like, you know, you can do anything for a month. I mean, this yeah. isn't a true, I mean, it feels like a sacrifice in the moment, but it's not a true sacrifice. It, it's actually the opposite of that. It's fueling your body. Even I though- get to spend a month eating steak and eggs and yeah. vegetables. Oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah, so that's the other <laughs> thing that's great about it. Sometimes people are like, oh, Jesus Christ, I never really liked eating uh, cereal in the first place. You mean I can eat bacon and eggs for breakfast again? This is fantastic. Right, right. Because we've, we've also been sold this bill of goods that, yeah. that you know salt is is bad and you eat the, eat, bad. Eat, eat the egg whites and not the yolks and all yeah, this, this nonsense this this morning i was just across the road getting some breakfast when we turned up before before the podcast and the the breakfast that i wanted had egg whites and when i ordered i was like can i have whole eggs can i have the i want the yolk that's the best bit you know you're not <laughs> right. gonna throw that away from all me. the micronutrients are yeah. in the yolk eat, <laughs> eat the butter eat the yolks yeah yeah, well, what we, we've been told, you know, over, over many years. In fact, I was at the doctor's office the other day, and they had the screen um, on on the wall, and I won't go back to this doctor's office because of it, and it was talking about eating a diet that's low in fat, and, and like, I mean, and, and, like, you could tell they just had this out-of-date sort of nutritional information, and... And, and they were talking about the food group still, and it had a little thing uh, with the food. my plate it is now. The, yeah, well, it's still wrong, but it's called my plate. It used to be called the food pyramid. No, they still had the food pyramid. Oh, did they? On, oh on my this goodness! Electronic <laughs> board, so it looked new because it wasn't uh, a poster. It was an actual like electronic board that that had the food pyramid. I'm like, really? You're still talking about <laughs> eating bread with yeah? And, and so, um, yeah. Although, I mean, it goes back to a previous question we talk about being obsessive i think being obsessive about this stuff to a certain extent is important but tommy what you were saying earlier is like you you, you want to control what you can control but yeah. you don't want to kill yourself because of it. and it reminded me of this question i printed out this article i saw this it's from mcsweeney's i'm sure y'all are familiar with mcsweeney's but um it's called the whole 30 challenge changed my entire relationship with food because i'm dead now <laughs> i used to be just like you overweight lethargic a carb and sugar junkie looking for my next fix until I tried Whole30, the incredible nutritional reset program and experienced a profound transformation of my body, mind, and spirit. I cut sugar, grains, 
alcohol, dairy, legumes, and literally every other source of nutrition out of my diet for 30 days. <laughs> and I can honestly say that it has completely changed my relationship with food because I died on day 27 and no longer require sustenance. Uh, we'll put a link to the whole article in, in there. Uh, I think maybe the important thing that I want to illustrate here is Take it seriously, but don't take it too seriously. Sometimes these things become religions, and you've got Team Paleo and Team, yeah. and then now the carnivore diet is oh, this yeah. big thing. Yeah. And and I've seen people who go on and they solve these sort of autoimmune problems. And I don't. It's not the carnivore diet that's that's necessarily changing or fixing the eczema or whatever they have. It is the fact that removing the other things that were causing the eczema it's in the first place. Almost always, what you're not eating, or what you end up not eating. So. I mean, we talk, so uh, mentioned Whole30, low-carb, uh, keto. All of those diets are great. Um, carnivore diet can be great. Uh, we have some people who we put on what you would call a whole foods plant-based diet, so a real food, vegan, low-fat diet for a very specific reason, not long-term. So depending on who you are, a whole host of different diets may be the best diet at that moment in time. However, almost all of them, and there was a recent, um, I think it was two or three years ago, They uh, all the guys who... Uh, the experts in all these um, diets, you know, so the vegans and the paleo guys and the low carb guys, they, it was a meeting, I think in New York, I think it was called the, the old ways finding common ground or something. That's what they were trying to do. And what they figured out was that they agree on 80% of stuff, which is don't eat refined carbohydrates, uh, refined fats and oils and all that kind of stuff. Like you canola know? oil. Canola kind of oil. You know, so once you remove those things, actually what you're left with is usually some plants uh, and some animal products and they look like food. They look like what comes out of the ground or comes out of the animal as soon as you've, you know, slaughtered it. So mm -hmm. if you focus on those foods, then obviously you can get into the macronutrients and keto, low carb, low fat, but you know the most important thing is removing all that other stuff so once you've taken out the cookies and the fast food and the pizza and all that stuff um that's the most important thing and then you know once you're left with real food whatever it is um you that's probably the point where most people can stop worrying about it yeah yeah and, and occasionally you you will have something that won't be part of that and it won't be the end of the world um i i recognize these things sometimes as uh sometimes we have these really small wins and it's important to recognize those small wins, but also recognize the small losses. If you yeah. screw something up, you don't say, well, I've ate half the cake. I might as well eat the other half now too. <laughs> right. That's no. the what the heck thing. Yeah. Yeah. People do that with, with dieting that they set unreasonable goals, which of yeah. course they don't meet. And then they say, what the heck? And then they stop even counting. Like mm -hmm. that's been shown yeah, in the have, literature. <laughs> yeah. And if you have one bad meal, that doesn't mean that the whole day is out or the whole week is out. Um, and equally don't, don't punish yourself. So, um, you know, I sometimes eat cake and ice cream, but mm. I really enjoy it, and then I don't worry about it. It's right. a, it's some food I had. I usually having it with friends. I'm enjoy I'm I'm enjoying it in the moment, and then don't think about it ever again. And that's the really important thing. Don't punish yourself if if that does happen. But you know, equally, the overall habit is the important thing. Yeah. So you still have to form that habit yes. to be then be able to do the do the other bit and not deviate from the habit. I, I last weekend had um, a piece of bread for the first time in probably a decade. And that was just because I couldn't digest bread well. Like it, it would just be this nightmare in my stomach. And now that you all have helped me fix my gut, I had a piece of like sourdough bread, and it wasn't like you know Wonder Bread or something. It was yeah. If you're gonna have bread, have nice bread. Yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Really enjoy it. And, and I had a piece of bread, and it didn't mess with me. And I, I was so like shocked. And I still have the habit of not eating any any of that stuff usually. But but having this one piece of bread, and it was like this experience. 
and I don't feel compelled to eat it every single day still. In fact, I feel compelled not to eat it every day so that if I do decide, you know, once a month or something to have a piece of bread, I can truly enjoy it and maybe even have something to look forward to. Uh, let's see here. Past Life Experience asks, how necessary are most supplements? Depends on the supplement, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, magnesium. What do we know about magnesium? It's important for everything and everybody's deficient in it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, over so 300 I, I, still take, I take a, a magnesium supplement that you all prescribed to me. Um, subscribed to me. I don't know. You, 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 you recommended. Recommend. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I still take it uh, at night, like before, you know, before going to bed. And I know that that is part of just my regular supplementation. But I'm certainly not taking 112 pills a day now. But there right. was a time where that was... That was important for what I was trying to to right. accomplish. And then glycine is another one. Like, how many people are getting enough glycine? Yeah. What is so? So let's talk about magnesium. Let's talk about glycine. What are those? So, well, magnesium is um, it's a nutrient element. So, like um, sodium, you probably heard from uh, of from salt or calcium. It's you know, on the it, periodic it's table. It's on the periodic table. It's technically a metal. Uh, it's important for a whole host of of things, um, including. Um, how your nerves function, how you produce ATP in the mitochondria. It's important for some of the enzymes that do that. Um, and it's you know very important for things like uh, blood pressure, uh, cardiovascular disease risk. And you know we know there's been a couple of review papers that came out recently, one by Stephen Genuis, who we mentioned earlier, the, the, the detox guy, and then another one by James DiNicolantonio, who's been doing a lot of work showing us that restricting salt intake is probably for most people going to be harmful rather than beneficial. Um, it's all the other stuff in your diet that's the issue. It's not the salt. Right. Um, and actually, there's a whole host, uh, even though it's actually very hard to measure magnesium and detect a true magnesium deficiency. But if you sort of really dig into it, you can safely make the assumption that most of us are deficient and adding some back in, taking a supplement, um, is, you know, is very low risk with high potential rewards. So that kind of thing um, can be very can be very beneficial. Uh, glycine is another one that's a, it's an amino acid. So one of the building blocks of proteins um, but it doesn't tend to be in the protein sources that most of us eat nowadays like um, uh, it's not in huge contents in, in, in plant proteins although there is some and it's not really in muscle meat so if we're eating say steak you don't really get much glycine and there's some really important stuff about the balance of different amino acids in terms of um, how you then do all kinds of other metabolic reactions in the body so particularly um, methylation reactions people might have heard of methylation methylation being an issue that that some people have and glycine is very important in that pathway and others it's very it's it's mainly important for making uh, connective tissue if you're in terms of the building blocks but in order to get those building blocks you need to eat connective tissue and how often do we eat skin and bones and cartilage and stuff like that we just don't traditionally we may have done that but we don't do that anymore so is that why you have me uh doing collagen with uh, yeah, exactly. collagen is 30 yeah. percent glycine yeah right? okay okay yeah. so so i'm taking it without even knowing i'm taking it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the exactly. great thing is like you get kind yeah. of outsource that kind of stuff yeah yeah but yeah. you can do i mean so if you're listening to this and you don't want to spend a lot of money on a glycine supplement then you can just eat the eat the whole animal right yeah. nose to tail make bone broth right uh, a lot of butchers consider that stuff waste products so you get it super cheap the bones sometimes although i've noticed some butchers are kind of cottoning on now that they realize they can sell the bones for money whereas before they would give them away yeah the market works that way yeah so, so you roast the bones and then just drop them in some water if you've got an instapot which is a pressure cooker you can get from amazon you can do bone broth in 90 minutes and then mm. it's this rich gelatinous 
soup and it's rich in glycine so if you don't want to take a supplement you can you can certainly make it for yourself yeah, so any meat that's cut you know the, like the tough membrane and the stuff in the joints like oh that's that's where you're going to get it skin so skin on chicken or you know any, any other animal has will have a, a good amount of glycine in it so yeah you don't have to buy the supplements and, and i guess this is goes um to the main point which is that if you manage to get if, if you're in good health and you manage to get all your ducks in a row in terms of maybe giving your body the nutrient it, nutrients it's going to need from the diet most supplements are absolutely not necessary at all yeah um, yeah and, and one one thing that i i still haven't been able to tolerate um organ meat yet um, really it's a yeah thing, like if you had it as a kid so my my wife actually ate a lot of organ meat when she was pregnant in the second half of her pregnancy once she got after over the morning sickness and ivy just came out loving uh, organ meat and she'll really? actually she'll ask for the u.s wellness meats liverwurst and Braunschweiger. Have you, have you tried that the u.s yeah, wellness meats? they do uh, awesome like they're kind of fresh meat sausages uh, which, which which have a lot of liver and some heart and stuff oh, in them and they're okay. re they're really good and they don't taste they don't taste like awful i'll give that because right now i've just been doing like i, I do like beef liver pills or whatever whichever ones you recommend yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Been doing those that's another way you can years. do it but i yeah. think the 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 u.s wellness meats um the the breakfast sausages are, are really good yeah. they taste just like like deli meat really oh, okay i'll give it a shot for sure uh, I'm, I'm at a point now where meat doesn't isn't just repulsive oh yeah of to course me. i mean i do get but, that when i was the same I, I was only eating fish and like the idea but that was kind of the deal i made with myself actually was if i was going to eat meat then i would eat the whole animal yeah rather than just i mean what we basically what we do is we take a cow and we just rip bits off of its legs and just eat that right and the rest of it goes in the trash you yeah. can't even there's a farm down the road from us in in bonnie dune and we asked them if we could have the organ meat and they said no we're not allowed to sell you that it has to go to like some freaking disposal to facility incinerated. yeah oh, it's absolutely wow. bonkers like that's the best bit that's the only bit i can't get and if you yeah. again if you go to traditional cultures um where you know we kind of feel like we can be informed by some of those people who are still living off the land you know how would they eat if they're having to you know either you know farm the, just their own animals or then you know get plants out of the you know whatever wilderness is around them and you know uh so cattle herders particularly if you think about the maasai tribe you know they they drink the blood and they eat the organs and in those kind of societies the dogs get the steak right that's that's not wow. the, they eat the intestines um that you know that all those other bits that we just won't eat that's what is prized in those mm. cultures and obviously you know and so you're eating the inside of the guts of this animal that was just killed and it's going to be full of those bugs and probiotics and all that kind of stuff and that's the stuff that we just don't we don't really eat anymore so if you're not going to eat those things and then you know maybe some supplements be, be, um, be, become important but you certainly can do it yeah yeah i i think that that the key is making sure you're getting the nutrition you need and then you can supplement yeah start with, with food with the rest. it's an yeah, appropriate yeah, name yeah, for the book yeah. and an approach with supplementation we, we yeah. would always ideally get to people get people to a point where they don't need supplements right. but sometimes you just can't do it for, for whatever reason and sometimes you, you're not absorbing things properly and you just you, you've been in a bad enough place that you could never get back to 100% so if that means you have to take a little bit of magnesium and a little bit of glycine I, you know I think that's okay yeah yeah. yeah. the other thing about supplements is the potential downsides are, are quite small right the main one being financial there's very few supplements that you're going to cause a problem I mean I suppose if you just supplement with a ton of zinc by itself or iron when you didn't Some need B it vitamins or a load of vitamin oh, yeah, so like B6 you can has toxicity yeah. right you can overdo it but generally you just create expensive pee whereas the problems associated with the nutritional deficiency are devastating so i mean personally i'd rather go the first option sure and there are some supplement companies that are better than others i mean often we we have thorn supplements because they're 
the most similar to they have the uh, rigorous yeah, standards. Yeah, they've right? got they've got really good scientists and doctors on their team who choose the most bioavailable forms of all of the micronutrients. And then another thing we love with them, especially working with athletes who get tested, is they do uh, they use the similar technology that we use when we're testing you, the human. Mm. They test mm. use that same technology to test. Um, the supplements to make sure that it is what it, they think it is, right? So, you know, maybe your pea protein has got cadmium in it and it's, it's definitely plausible and I think it probably has been found. And so they're making sure that's not happening by testing the supplement. It goes into quarantine when it first arrives and then they do, they test it two more times as it's going through production. So the the standard of care, the quality is very, very high. Yeah, and you pay for it, but you yeah, also know you what you're getting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what you're getting. Uh, creatine's another one. That, yeah, oh that, yeah, that's a creatine. I mean, if you, especially if you're an athlete, like there's not really much of a reason not to take creatine now, is there? What yeah. am I taking? I, I take one scoop, what is that? Five milligrams? Oh, five, five grams. grams. Five grams. Oh, five grams. Is, is, okay, yeah. Yeah, five grams, one teaspoon. Oh, it's probably, if it's like a teaspoon or a, um, a, a five, scoop a five mil in. scoop, it's probably like two to three grams, which okay. is plenty for the, for the average person. It's, okay. I mean, most people could probably be- benefit from from some creatine. Why is that? Um, again, so it goes back to, uh, it, it goes back largely to, to methylation. So um, producing creatine is one of the um, most methylation uh, heavy processes in the body. And basically what creatine does is it's a, it's a buffer for very, very rapid energy um, usage, uh, particularly in the muscles, but it's also important in the brain and, and other parts of the body. Um, and so that's, you know, the, when you do something very, very fast, the first um, offloading of energy comes from creatine. And so it's just like, it's basically an energy buffer uh, in the body, but the, the, it's very intense, it's very methylation and metabolically intensive to produce it. Um, and so, and people who eat a lot of meat, if you eat, you know, a, a pound, uh, a pound or two of beef a day, you probably get you know, around one to two grams of creatine, that's probably enough. Uh, okay. If people aren't eating that much red meat, then they can usually benefit from supplementation. It's the most heavily researched supplement in terms of sports performance and particularly in um, weightlifting or sprinting activities. But you um, don't want the big sugary creatine drink. No. So you, you, that's you, not the creatine <laughs> we're talking about. The creatine yeah. I have is from Thorne that, yeah. that you all yeah. uh, recommended to, get to me. Thorn. A lot of people, in no. fact, it's so cheap now, nobody's making crap creatine because yeah. it's it's just so cheap. Well, so actually, so You can still buy crap creatine. I mean, you yeah. walk walk past. I think all it's all the, made by. Is it Sigma no, Tau? No, this is no, this is this is the one important thing about creatine. Sorry, I was I was going off on my tangent about creatine, but um, by um, it's called Crea Pure Creatine uh, Monohydrate. It's made in Germany, and so basically all the creatine that you buy is 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 usually just white labeled Crea Pure. They buy it in bulk okay. from Germany, mm. and then they put their sticker on it. That is what you want. If it's not Crea Pure. It's basically made in some industrial state in in China, and Lord knows what's in there. So, yeah, yeah. so you can if, trust the Thorn really? one. There are other ones yeah. you can trust as well. I thought it was so the Crea Pure was so cheap that it wasn't worth anyone's yeah, time. Yeah, no, you can still find ones that aren't. And what well, Crea Pure is so cheap, but you can still find ones that okay. aren't Crea Pure. So it, examine.com is a great re- resource actually. Thinking about it, they've got all. If you want to see all the scientific references the on creatine, then examine.com oh, okay. is a fantastic resource, or any supplement for that matter. Yeah. And, and I still take like the Thorn AMPM sort of multivitamin. Yeah, um, takes that. Yeah, so 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 that's just your your general multivitamin, um, and then the biogest. Mm, that's uh, that's um, um, digestive, digestive enzymes. Support some digestive mm-hmm. enzymes and some um, some it, it basically for people who have uh, had chronic gut issues. Uh-huh. Um, breaking down and absorbing nutrients is, is often still an issue because the body needs to produce those, and when all of your 
systems have been struggling, that's just one of the things that gets shut down is, is producing those enzymes. And um, it's one of those things where, you know, they haven't done hundreds of big studies on them because nobody's going to make any money out of selling digestive enzymes. But a lot of people seem to benefit, particularly early on as they're supporting their gut, just by taking some digestive enzymes. And again, we work with a lot of athletes and there, there are some good studies on supplementing um, various enzymes and seeing improvements in terms of um, recovery. So uh, there's there's definitely enough uh, to suggest that if you, you know, you're really struggling with digestion, you like you get bloated after you eat. Um, and, you know, obviously you might have some deeper issue that you need to treat. Uh, once you but fix the food side of things. Once you fix mm. the food side of things and if there's something in the gut that needs to be, you know, gotten rid of. This doesn't mean take Biogest yeah. and then eat the pizza. Yeah, that doesn't solve all the problems, sadly. <laughs> but it can certainly help as you as you start to get that stuff back online. Okay, gotcha. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm, I'm taking regularly. But that sounds right. I, I, I do occasionally some fish oil from Thorn if I'm not eating sardines at the time. Right. So I'll, I'll try to get it through sardines first. But then if I don't, I, I, I can supplement with, with some fish oil. But uh, that's and just the small fish, cause, so sardine. I mean, that's literally what the word means. And, and the small fish sardines have less time to bioaccumulate mercury. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably why they're better than the, the huge fish. They've been yeah. around a lot longer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they don't taste as good, but it's it's, oh, really? it's, it's food as medicine. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, all right. So, so oh, that's actually a good, uh, also a good source of um, collagen and glycine. If you get oh, the, yeah. the the sardines, uh, they come in the can with skin and bones. Yeah, yeah the wild planet. Yeah, the wild, wild, planet, wild ones. planet ones are great. All that stuff goes in. You're, you're getting all that stuff without, again, yeah. without you're eating the whole animal. You're, I, eating, I, you're eating the whole animal. I buy them by the case on Amazon. Yeah. I, I legitimately, and they just, I'll I wish open I'd up got the can. into that game. Like, I should have put yeah. bought shares in Wild Planet <laughs> a long time ago. I know, right? Yeah, they, uh, but they do it right. And so, and it's one of those places that you can trust as opposed to just going yeah. to in some parts of the know, world it's part of their culture i was in portugal last summer and it's a quite i think it's quite a deep part of their culture and they mm. actually have shops on the high street that sell nothing but sardines you go in there and there's oh, all wow. these and it's almost like art you know that the cans are all so beautifully painted and there's so much care and attention has gone into the shop it's it's obviously a thing there yeah. and it, uh, somehow it's just not in our culture for some reason yeah and so for anybody who gets weirded out by like oh my god skin and bones i don't but you don't notice you don't it, taste it right? you don't taste yeah. it it's the yeah. Yeah. there's no textural component it just kind of like dissolves in the mouth you don't even you don't taste it because the sardines kind of gross <laughs> and so everything else is already there but most most of the time when we work with people and they say they don't like sardines they've just not had good sardines right yeah right? i totally agree with that in the wild plant ones i get the the lemon ones with uh, it's uh, lemon olive oil yeah. and, and so like it sort of masks the flavor plus it's, it's high in fat too and so like right. it's better than just getting like sardines that are flopping around in water from like a, a Costco yeah, or something. Dry. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't want that. I once wrote an article uh, for, a, for a fitness website telling people not to eat protein bars and to just eat a tin of sardines yeah, instead. Like, yeah. Because like if you're eating a low carb protein bar, like the, the the nutrition that you get in terms of protein and fat and stuff is is almost identical to a tin of sardines but obviously there's all this other good stuff in there and I got loads yeah. of like people like you're asking people to eat sardines after the gym it's super weird but that's what I would do I quite yeah, like I, I, yeah well I agree with you and, and by the way I think that's just a good rule of thumb anyway it's like if it comes in a package it's probably not worth eating in, in the first place right and so I think the, this, this we can wrap up the supplement discussion with the best supplementation is food and then if you can't get it from food then all the stuff yeah. we talked about you can actually supplement the the food that you're eating there's and, one tricky one i've just thought of which i think is that? important that's vitamin k2 like how does someone that doesn't eat that weird japanese natto stuff what is k2 is that in the multivitamin or? Uh, it, it is it in is the multivitamin actually, yeah. okay. it, it's um it, it's uh one of the fat soluble vitamins that basically tells your body 
Um, it does a number of things, but it, it's mainly or largely important in terms of telling your body where calcium should go. So, like, vitamin D is very important for, like, strong bones and all that kind of not putting calcium in your arteries, which can cause a heart attack, um, sort of. Um, but the it comes from liver and eggs and then the, the most concentrated um, and, and some cheese, but the most concentrated source is Chinese, is Japanese fermented soybeans called natto, okay. which is really, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you talked about not liking sardines. Natto is not good. Like <laughs> it's, it's hard. If it's not been part of your culture to eat it, it's, it's hard to eat. So sometimes, so, I mean, if you're eating uh, two or three uh, pastured eggs a day, you're probably getting enough K2, but if no, you're you not, so? okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, cause there's a there's a big study done in uh, Holland, I think, which showed that you basically need like 15 to 30 micrograms a day. It's not very much. Okay. But most people, if you're just eating a highly refined um, standard American diet, you're not getting enough K2. Gotcha. Well, I was going to also mention probiotics, but I think the next question here is, from April, April is, what are the best things you can do on a daily basis to maintain good gut health? So... This is, I mean, this is almost like a buzzword, right? We hear gut health mm. and like I'm seeing on all the products and and uh, I see it on Cheerios now, good gut health. I mean, I don't yeah. know if it's actually there, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they, so, so I think we have to be a, a bit cautious too. And when we talk about good gut health, one of the things that uh, I think most expensive thing, the supplement that I have uh, has to do with uh, the probiotics, yeah, the refrigerated expensive. probiotics, yeah. yeah. So, um can we talk a bit about probiotics and when they're necessary, when they aren't? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, to answer the original question, I think the best thing you can do for your gut health on an ongoing basis without spending a fortune on probiotics is to eat a wide variety of vegetables. Mm -hmm. And What about fermented foods? Yeah, yeah, fermented foods. I mean, what do you think, Tommy? Yeah, I, I mean... so Like kimchi or... Yeah, or, or, or um, you know, it's... I think it's, in, it's interesting, again, that like most cultures have had some kind of access to a fermented food you know like you need a food to last longer than you have it for and then there's some kind of fermentation process and you know when you put um ferm like fermented food or a probiotic so these are bacteria you're putting in your mouth they don't really go into the gut and set up shop they don't then become the bacteria in the gut but they do seem to help some processes along it's just we're, we're used to being exposed to these things and they can um, have some beneficial effects but it certainly doesn't need to be um you know ha come in a supplemental form so yes uh, some f fermented foods are great they're not essential eating a wide variety um, of foods be they plants be they you know so actually you can get some some of those prebiotics which feeds the gut bacteria from the, from like the collagen and all that you know the oh, bones yeah. and animal things. fiber animal fiber uh, you might call it so 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 basically an anything like that which sort of can feed so you're not uh, trying to put the bacteria in, the in on the food you're trying to give the bacteria what it needs in order to be able to grow and survive and thrive okay and the, that, that's i mean the caveat with that is that if you're somebody who's had gut issues for a, yeah. a, a long period of time or you have some kind of overgrowth or you've taken antibiotics and you fostered some kind of some, some kind of issue there then those are the exact foods that are going to be trigger foods for you you know those wide variety yeah. of fibers um, and then you might need to try something uh, called, well, you might need to do some testing. You might need to try something called a low FODMAP diet, which basically mm -hmm. removes those fibers. Um, you may even need to go even further and do like an elemental diet, which basically takes out anything that the bacteria in the gut can ferment. And then you, you build back up, right? It's not a long-term thing. You do that to try and 
starve down a population of bacteria that's causing an issue and, and I think then sometimes you add that's stuff why back. The, the carnivore diet helps people with their yeah, gut issues because absolutely. you have to look so in some ca- extreme cases like extreme ibs um I, i've seen people talking about where where they've removed essentially all fiber in yeah. order to fix which is counterintuitive at first like you want fiber to you know, clear you out, but the fiber is actually the thing that's that's giving you the problem, and it's interacting with the gut in a weird way. And uh, by by sort of depriving yourself, maybe at least temporarily, maybe it gives the the gut time to to sort of work it out. Yeah, there's actually uh, interestingly very little evidence that adding fiber to the diet causes any real benefit, uh-huh. um, which is again one of the, contrary to one of the things that we've we've often been told. And in, in one specific scenario, which is. Um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, um, and, and constipation. Mm-hmm. Actually, taking out fiber seems to seems to be beneficial. And again, it doesn't need to be a long term thing, but that could that's definitely where some people are seeing benefit on something like a, a carnivore type diet, where they're taking out all plants and all the fiber associated with them. And it, it kind of makes sense. So if you imagine um, a tube that's blocked up, the answer to to that problem isn't stuffing more stuff into the tube. <laughs> Because that's just going to cause more of a blockage, oh, right? Man. This is uh, I, I'm all these uh, in my head. Like I'm, I'm so so when I first came to you, I had all kinds. Of, like there would be days I wouldn't go to the bathroom for like three or four days. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, that's I'd not pee. good for getting rid. Yeah. Of, that's another way you get rid of toxins, yeah. right? It's yeah, like, yeah. I would pee uh, just fine, but like I was just not pooping. I, I, I just a regular basis was not happening yeah. and then i changed a few things and my diet just by default we were removing some fibers from my diet because i was eating more meat and so my calories were coming from more protein and fat right and things started moving and now i go every single day and often twice a day and that is one of the largest improvements i don't have the terrible gut pain when i came to you guys like i i just knew like regularly i'm just gonna have Every time I eat, I'm just going to be in pain for a few hours yeah, afterwards. Sucks, isn't it? That's yeah. when people start under eating. Actually, is when they feel like that. Right, and I, I didn't, I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. And then I, when I came to you guys, we started working together. Sort of by default, we removed some of the excess fibers. Like I didn't realize like how much an apple would just mess me up, which you wouldn't think. Of. People often, yeah, apple a day keeps the doctor. No, it just kept me from going to the bathroom. That was the problem. And that's what was appropriate for me. And, and mm-hmm. eating more more meat actually helped solve a lot of the gut problems I was having mixed with the probiotics and all the, the other mm-hmm. things that we did to help fix the gut. So now that I do have good gut health, what, what sounds like what I do now is wide variety of foods, you know, vegetables and natural foods, you know, real foods, I should say, mm-hmm. and, and uh, none of the processed stuff. And then if I want to supplement a bit with sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha um, occasionally, then those things don't hurt at all. Right. And they may even help a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's confusing because, you know, the thing that's going to help you in the beginning is not necessarily the same thing that's going to help you in the long term. Mm. And the thing that's going to help you in the long term may be detrimental right at the start. If you were going to try and eat like that immediately, oh, yeah. back then you would have felt, ter- you know, lots of kimchi and fermented stuff exact and loads opposite. of fiber. You would have felt oh. terrible. But now yeah. it makes you feel good and it helps. So it's just the the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Is you know, So it's sadly not an easy answer. What's well, the thing we were talking about earlier? Putting the fire out first yeah. before rebuilding the house. But now I don't want to go and like take a fire extinguisher to my walls. It wouldn't make any sense to do that now. And so, yeah, it's, it's what's the appropriate time. 
time. And this is in the, this, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I hear this also as a buzzword. So Don asks, can you talk about candida overgrowth and its symptoms and the natural methods of eliminating it? So I, I, I assume um, this is often related to our, our um, extreme intake of sugar and, and uh, yeah, I guess sugars, right? Um, can you talk about candida and, and why it's become a, a pop culture phenomenon recently? Yeah, it, it certainly can be. And I mean, so, and the 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 sugar aspect is, it may well be part of it. And we talk about uh, so this is you might call it what a, is candida? It's a yeast. Okay. So you might call it yeast overgrowth. That's uh-huh. another thing. And you might recognize uh, candida because it can cause thrush. So um, you know rashes in the the genital area uh-huh. as often caused by uh, the the same the same yeast. And uh, the symptoms are wide and varied, and it's you know we tend to see it quite uh, quite frequently, and we pick it up as a metabolite of the yeast in the urine. That's where that's how that's how we pick it up. Um, and so a while back, Chris actually built um, some machine learning algorithms to try and predict biochemical problems, so things we might see in the gut or in hormones um, or or in the blood, based on just uh, the the responses to some question like a standard question people come in they answer 50 questions and they just say you know that you know how well do you sleep um you know not very well or very well or you know um how lonely do you feel or you know do you feel like you're a part of a group of friends and you say like not very much or very much so it's, it's basically like on a scale of one to five mm-hmm. um and one of the things that um predicts uh, a, a yeast overgrowth is um is sugar cravings or you know f- feeling cravings for sugar so uh-huh. where previously that was kind of like one of those things where we were like oh we're not really sure if that's the case at least from our data from the people that we work with that certainly seems to be the case that it was predictive of, of a yeast overgrowth mm. um and it can be associated with all those other things so we talked about brain fog or systemic inflammation uh, it can produce um something uh uh, called o- uh, oxalate uh, which can then like do funny things with the minerals in your body uh, may be associated with things like uh, joint pain and maybe with kidney stones uh, but sort of depending on um, who you are the, the, the symptoms uh, can be varied if you do have a test and or you can see on a stool test too if you have a load of yeast that just turns up in your poop you know mm-hmm. that's probably a bad sign yeah and again just like the bacteria in the gut you will have some yeast in your gut that's very normal mm-hmm. it's just when they start to sort of take over or fill a niche that's that's bit that other bacteria have left because they've been killed with a, an antibiotics or something mm-hmm. and then uh and this is actually one of the cornerstones of the things that uh, chris started doing with his clients so, so maybe you can talk about it but some um some herbal protocols can can usually be very effective yeah, i was going to say you asked a question about probiotics earlier then mm-hmm. this might be i mean so that's when we use them is with a specific application in mind i don't take a probiotic for no reason just as like i take the multivitamin it's for a specific application and so saccharomyces boulardii actually i think there's some some evidence for that which is another yeast which is another yeast ironic and it's not coming along and setting up shop it's just just temporarily creating an environment that's not conducive towards candida mm-hmm. and then it's gone the whole lot of them are gone and actually it's there's some evidence to show that it's helpful with um overgrowth of c diff as well mm-hmm. that's why, why why i was taking it yeah exactly yeah. in super high doses like sometimes people say oh yeah i took one capsule of that didn't do anything you were taking like how many capsules a day at the beginning it was yeah like, well no i was doing the, the powder stuff um oh that's the that's a different one the, yeah i'm pretty sure you did in the beginning it was a long time ago okay. it was over a year ago oh yeah, yeah yeah okay it's like 16 capsules a day or something yeah, for it a couple was, of weeks. It was quite a bit yes. <laughs> yeah um but then some some um so we often use uh, some herbal protocols so um or, um oregano or oregano biocidin um, works great actually but, on candida um, yeah biocidin which is a it's like a tincture of various different um 
um, herbs. There's also uh, something called undersalinic acid or SF722, oh, yeah. which also has some... Lorisidin. Lorisidin, which is uh, derived from uh, coconut. coconut. So there's 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 quite a few things that, that, that can work against the yeast overgrowth. But again... Um, find the thing that caused that problem in the first place right. so yeast doesn't just show up mm, right? right there's some kind of so are you um, immunocompromised or have you done some kind of damage to your gut so there's there was um some really interesting work that basically shows that once you have you've set up an inflammatory process in the gut you start to feed a whole different set of bacteria. There are some bacteria that work really well in that environment and there are, there are some that, that don't. So mm-hmm. is there something else that's causing an issue in the gut which then, or you know, causing an issue with your immune system which then allows the candida to set up shop? You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's always going to be a layer beneath it. So start by thinking back, and again, it, it comes back to diet and environment and stress and all those other things. Try and figure that out. And then usually eradicating the yeast itself it, is... It, in most people, it is, is fairly easy. Okay, we, so we do have a terrible time with it with the athletes. So I mean, we're wondering whether over exercise is a problem is actually causing the inflammatory environment in the gut, and then the bifidobacteria goes away, and then candida maybe overgrows. It's just kind of conjecture yeah. at the moment, but we do see it a lot in our athletes. Okay, so so in in the case of an athlete, maybe reducing the amount of yeah, but you're uh, never going to get them to do I that. I know, I know. <laughs> you just take them on a law <laughs> right. at that point, right? Like, yeah. okay, we did a reasonable investigation and we got as far as we could and now we just need to make a decision and you know, like, uh, I don't, you know. So, I mean, you know, we have some guys who the the sport pays the bills right, right. if you're if yeah. you're a I can't if you're an olympian to stop. yeah exactly if you're if you're an olympian or you're a professional athlete and that's or what formula pays one the bills driver. Oh, or yeah, a formula one driver you know you can't you just can't you can't do that you can't say oh well why don't you just stop training right then it's like well why don't you stop paying your mortgage it just doesn't yeah. make any sense so i already went to the doctor and he already told me to stop exercising <laughs> that's why i'm here <laughs> so so, th- so then you get to a point where um you know maybe you maybe you appreciate that during hard periods of training you're going to develop uh, some kind of issues with the gut. So you just cycle through, you know, you take some organo or you take some some loricidin or something, and it just sort of keeps things under control. And then during the off season, your gut settles out and it's just, it has to be part of your protocol as, as an athlete, just because that's that's the nature of the game. Gotcha. All right. Um, we got, let's see. Oh, we have two more questions. We're going to save them for the postscript episode. So uh, these questions have to do with sadness, depression, overwhelm, despair, and other emotions, and also anxiety. So each week we record a postscript episode for our Patreon supporters. So if you all want to listen to that, you can go over to theminimalists.com slash support. We'll do a quick postscript episode. But before we, we finish this up here, uh, there are a few other words here that that uh, we probably didn't get to. Uh, we talked about toxins. We talked about immune system. We, talk, we talked a little bit about hormones. Is there anything else that we should maybe talk about? I know one thing that you told me, Chris, was uh, hey we do uh, we we test for uh, for guys like testosterone is always one thing how can yeah. I increase my testosterone oh, yeah. that's a really and, interesting story isn't it and I did have I had low testosterone when we first tested it and now I have uh, moderate but it's on the low side of moderate I think is the way you probably described it mm-hmm. it was five hundred and two or something yeah, so you're well within what we would call the normal range but you're just outside what I'd if, like the ideal ideal but uh-huh. you know obviously enough of an increase to see to see the benefits yeah i don't remember where it was originally but it was well below that yeah. and um and we've done several tests since then but and it's and it's improved incrementally but also improvement doesn't necessarily mean like 
well, I need to get this to 800, right? <laughs> I want to have like, I mean, there's a there's a term, roid rage, where someone is just like totally, you know, they're, they're full of testosterone. And you all sent me some studies that were fascinating about the the increase in crime for people with high oh, testosterone. Oh, yeah, overcomes the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. I don't think it does it. I think so normal physiological levels of testosterone don't, don't cause that type of behavior right when you're talking about roid rage you're you're talking about exogenous testosterone and they, it just yes. modulates an existing behavior R right. rather than causing it to begin with R but there's yeah. some really interesting stuff around it increases the likelihood that um a behavior could a behavior right, that you might modulating. have a propensity to do anyway it might increase the likelihood that that that, that will happen and if anybody's interested in this stuff you should read behave by robert, robert Sapolsky. Sapolsky. we have we <laughs> haven't mentioned him yet he's one of our you know he's heroes yeah yeah absolutely we'll awesome. put a link to all these books in the show notes so um, people can dive in deep but yeah so uh, i guess so the main the main so the main thing that testosterone can do is it switches off the prefrontal cortex which is like where your deliberation and your it's your filter right yeah. so it switches off it can switch off the filter and it's not like you know if you if you take testosterone all of a sudden you become an asshole it's like it it makes certain things more likely to happen mm. um but the the main um the main summary is that more isn't necessarily better right you need enough for all those processes to happen what uh, a metaphor for life <laughs> minimalism we, as we call so, it enoughism uh, yeah enoughism <laughs> you need you need you need enough testosterone but you know we've had people who are like um i'm gonna be fixed and feel great when my testosterone reaches a thousand and that's it's just not true like there's 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 nothing that's going to change when your testosterone goes from 700 to a thousand because you you already have enough that to do all the things that you need to do so like and again it goes back to the test results you know you can fan you can fetishize a number and we do see quite a lot of that but in reality the subjective experience is much more important yeah uh do you have any symptoms of low testosterone if you don't then great tick you know uh, job done we don't need to worry, Let's not about, worry about it but if, yeah. you, if you have low libido or sex drive in fact there, there were some questions that, that you asked me early on i had to i had to like do some serious rumination about it you were like you, you talked about why well, are you attracted to your partner Right, and I think that that's one thing because I was in a long marriage, and I know like eventually we we totally grew apart, and there was a problem there, and it, it didn't have anything to do with hormones at the time. It was my mid twenties, and and it just had to do that we grew apart, and like no, I don't think we were attracted to each other anymore. Like we were really good roommates, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and in fact, we still we get along way better now than we ever did when we yeah. were married. Uh, she has you know a great family now, and we can talk, and like we have a good friendship. But we, we weren't, and, and so you asked me that question and I had to like really step back and think like, mm -hmm. and, and the, the answer was, yeah, I'm crazy attract, attracted to Bex. And like, I, it, it's it's proven out in the physiology now, uh, but there was a period of time where, yeah, I mean, it was like, well, if I could just fix my testosterone. Yeah. And, but yeah. th that's kind of like saying, well, if I, if I bought the third BMW, then I'll be happy. <laughs> you know, if, if someone has 700 testosterone, they're trying to get to a thousand. And it's like, okay, but why? Yeah. Well, why are you trying to do this? And uh, I think it's the same thing when we look at our material possessions or we, we look at our health. Like, what are the symptoms? What are you trying to fix here? And I think sometimes we don't know. Like, we just we chase after a number or a thing or a status or a number of followers or whatever right. without thinking why we're doing that thing. Right, and it's this goal, this trap of constant horizon seeking. I hear that a lot from 
from clients. Oh, I'll be happy when I lose another 10 pounds. I'll be happy when my total testosterone is 700. I'll be happy when, and of course, as soon as you get to 700 or 10 pounds lighter or whatever it is, this the next horizon becomes, and, and then you, you're just chasing your tail forever, you yeah. know? Yeah, and, and, and being uh, being happy with enough is like, is like the, the, that's what minimalism is for me. It's the it's the art of having enough and figuring out what enough is for right. you. Because there was, a, uh, there was a point where I didn't have an appropriate amount. My hormones were out of whack and it caused low libido. It caused all these problems. And, and now uh, the other nice thing is my partner and I both have really similar libidos and i think that's that's one thing if, if, if you're dealing with someone else who who your your significant other you're looking for a partner like finding someone with with a libido that matches yours yeah. is is something that is like really gratifying because you know i'm not trying to have sex 14 times a day but 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 i also uh have the desire to have sex with the person i'm with and it makes for a really fulfilling relationship so you asked me some really hard questions when we first when we first talked but those I, I have to reveal that most of those hard questions were tommy's this is <laughs> this is oh, generally yeah. the way that we operate at yeah. nourish balance thrive is that we have this team of people and you know we get together and it's a, a scrum is a, an appropriate word it's mm -hmm. a it's a, um, the agile technology. We use a, a system of divide and conquer to get stuff done with our clients. And they have this part of it is the scrum. And it, it's a, a, a metaphor for, you know, when you throw the, the ball into the, the, the scrimmage underneath these pipes. It's a bit like that. So we bat things around. And yeah, quite often one of us health coaches will then go up and have that go on and have that hard conversation with the client yeah. and it's really him that's asking all these hard questions <laughs> so you get to ask all the hard questions yeah, yeah and then he yeah. doesn't have to actually make eye contact and ask a proxy them. yeah so it's great because we can talk about so if somebody has um low libido or erectile dysfunction i can say chris well ask him whether whether he finds his partner attractive ask him whether he's masturbating to pornography you know ask him all these other yeah. things and i don't have to do it chris does it yeah but, i mean the answer the answer that's another thing that's yeah. like important like if if you're used to a level of weirdness that's only obtainable from pornography, then yeah, yeah, good yeah. luck trying to get turned on when yeah. you experience real, real life. Is well, like well, another. Thankfully, Bex gets really weird, <laughs> <laughs> so we're good in that department. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we can we can replicate a lot of what's on the internet. Um, let's see what else we have here: skin and acne. We kind of talked about. Uh, you, you, I mean, you mentioned it with with um, thrush. Uh, uh, that that's one type of like that that's I, I don't know if you'd categorize that uh, as an autoimmune response, um, but but there are a lot of other like eczema or acne or um, what are the other ones that that, uh, that I mean the skin lar largest organ in the body and we tend to have a lot of problems with it. I know if I eat dairy, I break out. And, right. and figuring that out just allowed me to cut dairy out of my diet. Do you know how few people figure that out, by the way? Like, I think a lot. Like, how many young women are eating dairy today and ending up with terrible acne and just and not? And then they do exactly what you do. You go to the doctor and they get they prescribe antibiotics for the acne, right? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's the other thing, man. I so and I don't know if it'll be long term effects of of this. We'll see. But uh, Accutane was one thing that I took for several years. Yeah. Uh, way longer than the normal rounds people usually take it. And he put, same doctor who gave me the Bactrin, put me on a fairly benign dose of Accutane. My lips are bleeding, but <laughs> didn't have any acne. Um, and, and and so, yeah, we want the magic pill as opposed, I didn't know, man. I mean, I, if he would have just said, hey, yeah, that's because you're eating dairy. And, and by the way, you have a, this weird soy allergy that most people don't have, but you do it and it makes your head break out. If you stop eating that or... I can't tell you, you have that for sure, but 
why don't you True. try eliminating it yeah. for 30 days i mean the problem is that most people have an uh, emotional attachment to food that you obviously don't and I, i'm the same as you i don't have emotional attachments to food but people definitely have an emotional attachment to cheese um, yeah yeah, <laughs> right? um, yeah my, my partner she, she's from minnesota and went to school in wisconsin and i don't think you could ever get her stuff but she she functions fine she thrives on cheese yeah, so everything's fine yeah, with yeah. her right um but in uh, our five-year-old i mean you try to take you have to pull the cheese out of her dead hands <laughs> um but uh thankfully they're fine on it right and um but i, I think we have to realize that uh, if we have skin problems then it's pro- quite often it's caused by what we're putting into our body not always but but quite often yeah it's and so a lot of uh, skin issues seem like, again, we go back to the gut. So um, rosacea, something that people um, often like reddening uh, or changing of the skin on the face. Um, like that's, def- that's very, or seems to be well connected to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So again, it's just a, a dysbiosis or an imbalance of the bacteria in the gut. Um, a certain, again, autoimmune skin conditions, um, uh, allergies. So eczema is part of that kind of, um, uh, with seasonal allergies and asthma, sort of like atopy, we call it, which is just sort of being allergic to a lot of different stuff. And that can also be associated with, with gut issues. Um, acne as seems to be you know, uh, problems with, uh, so people who have very high levels of insulin have a lot of, can that can contribute to acne. Mm-hmm. So dairy, you know, particularly uh, milk is great at increasing insulin. So, so milk uh, is often a big uh, issue. And then also refined carbohydrates, you know, large glucose spikes, large insulin spikes, that seems to be uh, a cause to problem for people with acne. So I again, that. I was like covered yeah. in it when I was eating. Yeah, and it yeah. just all went away when I took. When and I and we hear that. that all the time. So people don't come to us necessarily to fix skin issues, but like you fix their diet, they're like, oh my god, my skin is amazing. And they, <laughs> yeah. they just didn't even realize that it was a problem and, until they started eating better. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like mine got so bad in my early twenties that I finally went to a dermatologist who who provided all these solutions, right? And uh, and all I had to do was change a few things in my own my own life, in my in my diet, and I would have radically improved all these 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 problems that I had. And I think I think the the key is like be willing to to experiment, be willing to eliminate some stuff, mm-hmm. and see what happens. If you eliminate something for thirty days, and all of a sudden your skin gets better then great, maybe don't bring it back in. Or if you do bring it back in in a, a, a minuscule level, you know, every once in a while, like you said, maybe you eat a piece of cake every once in a while, but it's no longer that glass of milk with, with next to the glass of orange juice for breakfast, oh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, um, what else do I have here? Oh, what are, you, what are your thoughts on alcohol and coffee? Um, both. Uh, can both uh, both can be both I drink can a be lot fine. of coffee but yeah. I, I limit myself to, I, I do three cups a day now I now in the corporate world full disclosure here I, I worked 80 hours a week and I did I, I probably had 20 cups of coffee a day oh wow and I and I of course I was like the, the, the shit coffee too um uh, so I'd put like dairy in it and Splenda. That 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 was oh, all. God. Yeah, and so like I'm uh, I'm I'm just like take it. That's not even that's not just coffee either. But but if I'm so I, I drink uh, two or three cups of coffee a day, and I always get these this this conflict, and it's black coffee, and it's really good coffee. But um, I get conflicting sort of advice and 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 reports back on that. Yeah. So 
if you're again so it kind of depends and there's there's multiple ways to look at it so um coffee has been shown to have, or be associated so it, they haven't done like randomized controlled trials but if you look epidemiologically it's associated with a number of benefits in, t in terms of reduced risk of uh, strokes and diabetes and alzheimer's disease and all that kind of stuff and and actually some of those benefits even come if you're drinking decaf coffee mm. um because it's so it's some of the some of the like phenolic compounds that are in the coffee rather than the caffeine itself mm -hmm. um people who may or may not benefit from 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 caf the caffeine itself uh it is to do with um how well you metabolize caffeine you can actually you can actually measure that if you're worried about it so you know some people just metabolize caffeine really slowly it really affects them you know that's my partner so we yeah. did the, the 23 and me thing yeah and then uh you who, who did we send that off to um i forget ben lynch strategy, strategy maybe, or maybe. prometheus perhaps? prometheus, prometheus yeah. yeah um and and yeah i metabolize caffeine very quickly she metabolizes it really slowly so she can't have anything after like 7 a.m or yeah. she's screwed yeah. later later tonight so that's that's part of it i used to drink so i drink a lot of coffee um probably 50 to 75 percent of what i drink is decaf swiss water processed decaf because i just like i like the coffee my first cup in the morning has caffeine in it then after that because i used to think caffeine doesn't affect me and then i was like well do you know what maybe i'll see if i notice whether i sleep better and i do if i if i don't have if, I, if most of my ca uh, coffee is decaffeinated, then I definitely sleep better in the evening. So that's, you might, it's the same with loads of things that you're exposed to. You're like, oh yeah, that doesn't bother me. Until yeah. you remove it, you don't notice the effect that it actually has. And the Swiss water process is, is the thing that, that, that you're talking about that is important here. Just, just knowing a little bit about coffee, um, Ryan and I own a coffee shop down in, in St. Pete and a, a, a roaster. And quite often the, the decaf beans that you'll buy, you know, if you go buy Folgers decaf at your local Walmart, it's just the worst of the worst beans. And then the, the process of, of, of decaffeinating them basically is, is it's a chemical process. Yeah. So they throw a bunch of chemicals on there. And uh, what you're talking about, the Swiss water process is, is a natural way to de to remove the vast majority of, it's decaffeinated doesn't mean no caffeine, yeah. it just means a radically reduced. So your average cup goes from 100 milligrams to maybe five. Yeah milligrams of caffeine yeah it's most of the there's a lot of um organic solvents so if you imagine like dipping your beans in like paint stripper and then and, and then <laughs> grinding them up and so that's essentially i mean i mean a lot of that stuff evaporates because it's very volatile but still you know not not ideal so Just add splendor and you're yeah. good to go <laughs> <laughs> so i think does that cover all your coffee questions yeah i think so now, now let's let's talk about alcohol i don't uh -huh. drink personally yeah uh, but then you always hear these this conflicting information. One glass of red wine, you know, increases resveratrol or, Moderate, or whatever, yeah. whatever that so, is. So, <laughs> so the interesting thing about resveratrol. So again, resveratrol um, was going to be the anti-aging compound that was going to make everybody live forever. They recently did a, a study using high doses of resveratrol in people with type two diabetes, and actually, in those, those in the high group, high dose group actually got worse. So it's not the miracle drug that we once thought it was. Uh -oh. uh, but actually, to get that kind of resveratrol uh, from wine, you need to drink like. 20 gallons a day or something so that's definitely I'll not try it for <laughs> that, 30 days <laughs> that's not why um that's not why alcohol can be beneficial and so again if you look at studies of people and you ask them how much they drink and then you follow them over time those that drink a small amount so on average one to do one to two drinks um a day or on average around one drink a day they do seem to you know have lower disease risk live longer there's multiple parts of that. If you're sick, you're less likely to drink, so you automatically stack the deck against those who aren't drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's there's also um, the obviously if you drink a lot, that's and most people who drink 
drink too much and that's associated with a whole host of, of other issues however um again going back to the coffee uh the same the same with the alcohol if it's a small amount um and you're enjoying it and you're enjoying it with others and it's a it's a, a process of socialization and that nice glass of red wine means that you're with friends and having good conversation and all that stuff then that's great is that one glass of wine going to make you healthier Bleh, who knows yeah. uh, but it's probably it's, it's certainly not it's pro it's certainly not going to be detrimental at least for most people and then the 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 sort of the the setting and all that you know can can be beneficial so again a small amount is absolutely fine we have no reason to think that it's going to be detrimental but you know there's if it's you get home after work and you're by yourself in front of the tv drinking a beer uh, i'm again sort of like you you can do it better and i think that's kind of that's how you should think about it so so it can be fine it's likely has few if any health benefits and obviously drinking too much has a whole so host there, of issues may, we all so know about there may well be there may well be a small health benefit. The problem is that it's very difficult to find that signal because, of, like, like I mentioned previously, those who don't drink, mm -hmm. there are lots of other reasons why they don't drink. So then when you see like the curve of amount drunk versus health, um, you, you, it's very difficult to pass out what's a true benefit versus what's like just a statistical anomaly based on who you're sampling. So there may be a small benefit. There may not be a benefit. Um, I would, you know, if you're enjoying it and it's part of like a, a bigger thing. So, I mean, so I was talking to a client just yesterday and that, you know, uh, she mentioned that she hasn't been drinking, but the, but the other day she was with her friends um, in Italy, they were by a lake and it was sunny and she had half a glass of red wine. I was like, great. Like, that's the, per like, yeah. if you're going to drink, like that's the perfect way to do it, yeah. right? You're with your friends, you're enjoying it, you're in the sunshine. That's fine. But don't, don't like go home and, and like chug a glass of red wine because you think it's going to make you live longer. I mean, yeah, Ryan has talked. So I, uh, we both have families who, who, um, struggle a lot with alcohol and drug abuse. Both of my parents were like extreme alcoholics. The reason I, I've never touched a drink in my life because, uh, they drank enough for for my entire life as well. But uh, I know Ryan throughout his twenties, and he's talked about this before on the podcast and in writing. You know, he would, uh, and actually in our the the next film we have coming out, he he really he does an act, a deep dive in this. But we uh, we talk about I mean, he would go home and have a case of beer. Wow case there's 24 cans oh wow 24 i thought we talked about six pack <laughs> nope a case <laughs> and then you know to go out to the bar afterward yeah. um and so like th there is obviously there's nothing healthful about about uh, that type of experience but there are times what sounds to me like what you're saying is there are times where maybe it's social lubrication one drink is not a bad thing but also don't think it has the magical benefits it's gonna fix your life either no no exactly but again it's one of the you know uh when you sort of create a robust healthy human then you know you can tolerate more of these things that doesn't mean you should tolerate you should force yourself to tolerate them but right you know in in many of the people that we work with you know cutting out alcohol altogether to begin with is is very important but then adding some of that back in can certainly have benefits for multiple reasons can we talk about uh, cbd and thc <laughs> uh -huh. we, we both live in states where that's legal now yeah um and i can tell you i i first started doing cbd uh, oil last year and uh, just to help out with with sleep 
Um, I've heard people talk about, you know, it's good for back pain and all this other stuff. And I found the curcumin is actually way, way better for back pain than the CBD right. oil was for me. I, although I haven't tried the lotions and stuff like that. But then also uh, THC and edibles, especially like the little spray or like a vape pen um, before going to bed. I've found that that helps me out a little bit with sleep if I'm, if I'm struggling with sleep. So I know there are obvious upsides and downsides. I'd like to get some opinions on this. We actually have some data. We don't even need an yeah. opinion. And we were we were actually talking about this over breakfast. That's the kind of guys that we are. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the interesting thing is that CBD on its own, based on the data that's available, should not help with sleep. So basically, when they've looked at it and they've given people CBD alone or CBD plus THC, the CBD alone can actually cause alertness, and it may be to do with how CBD and THC affect cortisol metabolism. There's some other stuff. Obviously, you know the the signal, the ways that they signal. You know, so some people may sleep worse if they take CBD. Um, and But when you add THC, then people t- seem to sleep better. So there's like a, there's a synergism there. Um, however, I can say for personal experience that I've tried CBD alone um, uh, before bed. And it certainly seems to help. It certainly does seem to help me sleep. And mm-hmm. why that is, I actually, I actually don't know. I don't have a study to say this is why. I think there's, there's, you know, there's going to be an interaction with all the other things that are going on in the gut. CBD has certainly been shown or, you know, to, to improve um, uh, gut inflammation, gut health. I don't think that's an issue for me, but um, that's particularly in animal studies. And now it's being translated to, you know, CBD is now being used for um, in cancer therapies and um, for epileptics. And they're starting to use it in uh, people with inflammatory bowel, bowel, bowel disease. So can certainly have a, a number of benefits. Um, I haven't tried the CBD plus THC. THC was more of a thing I did in my... Uh, teenage years uh-huh. um but uh but have both been shown uh potentially to, to help with sleep the, the the potential downsides are obviously then can interfere with cortisol metabolism and all this other stuff so if it's not causing it if it's not causing you benefit then you know there's no there's potential downsides for for, for taking it yeah what are the downsides so um, i mean we do think you know particularly for people you know heavy marijuana users there is some uh, risk of uh, mental health issues mm. um if that's coming from THC or other things, you know, obviously the the strength and the concentration of THC in marijuana has increased dramatically um, over the last few decades. So there's there's multiple uh, factors at play there. If you're taking 10 milligrams of THC with 30 milligrams of CBD before bed, you know, you're probably well under that that risk threshold. But mm-hmm. there are studies that show that it interferes with hormone metabolism, cortisol metabolism. So um, it's just it, it's at the moment it's kind of a try it out um and see if it benefits you but equally you know we roll back to our continuous message which is why aren't you sleeping in the first place you you don't want to medicate Mm -hmm. yourself to sleep you want to find out what it is that's causing your poor sleep Mm -hmm. in the first place similar to the melatonin supplements where that can help but but that is a band-aid on a band-aid for you not having enough melatonin because you're exposing yourself to bright lights and like all you know something like that right and so so uh i tend to microdose with the few times where i've done edibles where i i get a like oh i can't do anything else besides eat potato chips today um (laughs) uh i I just i don't like the feeling and so i i tend to i tend to avoid uh, avoid that but i also have found that the mental health thing um so i have mental health problems running my family my dad was schizophrenic um, my brother was schizophrenic, killed himself. And, um, 
So I, I know like uh, that's the reason I won't do psilocybin and other mm-hmm. things because there's a potential for, you know, even though I'm, I think I'm well past the age at this point where those symptoms would present themselves. I do notice that uh, the couple times where I've tried that, uh, an edible that is like, oh, like this is too much. Um, the next day, I, it's like the roller coaster. There, you, you can't have the high without the low sort of yeah. thing. And the, the entire next day, I'm just like, oh, like I should be happy right now, but I <laughs> cannot be happy. This yeah. is a, I think this is a story for for anything that you take to try and change the way your brain functions. Mm-hmm. Um, what we usually say is, there's no biological free lunch, right? You can't ask your brain to do something which you wouldn't normally do, and then expect it to be completely normal afterwards. So nootropics are a, are a classic example. You know, you take these compounds are supposed to increase brain, you know, cognitive function, various um, uh, brain functions, but it might increase function in one area, but it makes you less good in another area and then so, you may so can well we expand on that because yeah. I, I will do i'll take a nootropic usually but the only time i do is before a podcast yeah and i know in the afternoons i all i have this a crash yeah, yeah yeah there is a nootropic crash for me yeah. I, I thought maybe i was unique in that because i've never heard anyone else talk about it but no you I, guys I, cer- I certainly have experienced the same and there are some some nootropics that are basically just like the kitchen sink, everything's in there and it sort of like switches everything on and you definitely notice a difference, but then you get a come down later. So I, I often likened it to taking MDMA where you like switch everything on, you feel great. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a few hours later you have this, you have this big come down and it's not the same for everybody. Again, it's something that you have to experiment with yourself, but, but you know, again, we, we go back to why isn't your brain functioning as you would like it to? Why do you feel the need to take something to enhance your brain function? Are there other things you could be fixing and therefore you don't need to take the nootropic in the first place? Yeah. You know, that's always where we're gonna go back to. And then if, you know, occasionally you need to try something like that, you just need to be aware that asking your body or brain to do something you wouldn't normally do, you might gonna have to, you're gonna pay for it later. Yeah. Yeah, I found for me the the THC thing is not to a point where it's uh, or at least that I feel there's any sort of psychoactive effect. It, it's it's like microdosing. It's like one or two milligram mm-hmm. sort of thing. And the thing that helps me with this, with the sleep is it prolongs the the period where I stay asleep. Another thing that has really helped me, and I, uh, I've had to get really sort of diligent about it, and I, I screw up still all the time. Water. I drink a lot of water during the day, but I stop at 5 p.m. Mm. I stop drinking liquids at five and that way I don't feel compelled to get up at 3.30 a.m. to pee, mm. which by, sometimes when that happens, I get up at 3.30 a.m. and I'm like, well, I'm up. I can't get back to yeah. sleep now. And so I found th- those two things for me uh, in the water is probably way more helpful than, than the THC, to be honest with you. So um, just something to think about. Any other words about THC? No, it's not something that really interests me, honestly. <laughs> we, I'm like so, far more excited about the stuff that's free, like yeah. sunshine. I'm very excited about, whereas, yeah, far yeah more logical effects. Like, are, a sunshine, a sunshine deficiency can definitely cause insomnia. So, like, you can fix that first before having to buy a supplement. We, so we, the one reason why we talk about CBD is because, again, it might help with people with inflamed guts, and we see a lot of those. So we know a lot of people who. have feel that they've benefited from taking some CBD. Yeah, and so that's an interesting thing that you yeah. brought up recently is that maybe you have some problem that's stopping you from sleeping and then you take another thing that makes that first problem worse and maybe it introduces another problem, but it, the, the net effect is still positive and so your sleep does get better. Yeah. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Um, what did we talk about here? Meditation, we won't really deal with that. I mean, we all agree that it's a good thing and we probably don't do it enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always... That's the always. people that need it the most do it the less. Least. We've, we've had Sam Harris on and um, 
and and Dan Harris especially. And I, in fact, I went to a Sam Harris and, and Dan Harris event recently, and um, uh, I suspect that Sam believes that Dan isn't really meditating. <laughs> that, that's what I end up getting from the event. And I, I sent him, I sent Dan a text afterward. Uh, just kind of rib him, I, but but I think it's just we need different words. Like what Sam thinks of his medita- meditation is, you know, after he spent you know eleven years in India in caves, basically he he learned how to meditate, kind of thing. Uh, I'm exaggerating. I'm being a bit hyperbolic, but um, he's gone on three month meditation, silent meditation wow. retreats, and, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And, which, by the way, it was, and, and he's warned some people against that. Like you could have a serious mental breakdown too, yeah. and he he acknowledges that. And you you want to dip your toe in the water before jumping all the way in, realizing you can't swim. And and Dan's prescription is, hey, one minute is meditating. Like if you can, it's better than zero minutes, right? right. And and I think. I think they're just, it's two different things. There's almost like deep meditation and then there's like the beginner's meditation. And, yeah. and Headspace. I, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm still the, stuck on day 10 <laughs> of, of day 10. <laughs> By the way, you do a great job narrating it. <laughs> it does sound a lot like you. <laughs> they, they do. They sound a lot alike. No, I wouldn't like to say, Andy Puddicombe is quite fantastic on Headspace, isn't he? His voice is perfect yeah, for it. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's very soothing. Uh, although uh, Sam Harris has uh, his new app. It's in, uh, it's in beta right now. And He's been spending years on it, so I'm interested to see what he does. Yeah, I was just listening to him interview Michael Pollan, and I enjoyed that oh, more yeah. than the book itself, actually. Oh, yeah, that's really? a, so if you're talking, you, you mentioned psilocybin briefly. So Michael Pollan's new book, How to Change Your Mind, uh-huh. about the Great history, title, by the way. The, history, yeah, the history of psychedelics. It's actually really interesting, and the, the, the neuroscience behind how they affect the brain is really interesting, and it's it's got very little to do... So they used to be called psychotomimetics, which basically... Uh, mimicking psychosis that's yes. what people thought originally but it actually has very little to do with that and what it what they what they seem to do is um switch off something called the default mode network which is basically your um continuous thought processes ego all that kind of stuff and that and when you put people in the mri to look at this those parts of the brain essentially just get turned off mm-hmm. so people are kind of shutting down the processes associated with um yeah so ego self-comparison and anxiety all that kind of stuff and then when it comes back on when it comes back online if there's been a therapist involved and they sort of like guided you through it actually you can you can affect a lot of those sort of mental health issues by using this as part of like a therapeutic process so it's, it's, it's really very interesting yeah um, and, and uh so for those of you who are ill-informed or uninformed i should say uh we're talking about magic mu- mushrooms basically yeah, so so or lsd has the same effect uh, dmt from ayahuasca has, has, a sim- has a similar effect they all have that same effect on, on that part of the brain right right and and uh the uh, michael pollan talks about you know the the, the um if you if you do have some sort of uh risk in your family of yeah, yeah like schizophrenia or, or something then you know just just be careful with, yeah. with, with that and if you're so, gonna do it you should i mean if you're gonna do it for a for a, a mental health reason mm-hmm. and there is you know for post-traumatic stress or some some other they've used it for alcoholism and all these other things but it requires a therapeutic relationship with a therapist who's there at the time. It's a guided process. It's not just you at home on the couch dropping some acid taps and hoping <laughs> yeah. that things well, will yeah, get so, better. So, so, so I, I didn't get that far through the book before I got bored of it. But what are, I mean, so I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this information? Is it like I could go onto the internet right now and order this thing and do well, exactly no, you what you just order said? It because you can't order it because it's illegal unless you're in that setting. Right. So but, what you have to develop a, a relationship with some kind of physician who can prescribe it. I think one of the... Well, yes, but the um, but it's mainly in a research setting, right? Exactly. But I think the the idea is that uh, the book is 
before that. This is, you know, LSD has this whole kind of torrid history, particularly in the US. Um, and the book is trying to teach us that it's maybe not what we thought it was. And it has these effects on the brain that can be beneficial in the right setting. Mm. And it's trying to um, de-demonize right. the drug. Right. Is that just so a baby boomer problem, though? Do you know any young people <laughs> younger than 50 years old that have that demonization of the drug or is it um well that's well i mean if it's it's been for for the rest of us it's been illegal for as long as we've been alive so yeah. you know that's that's i think that's that's part of the problem but you're right i mean it's the baby boomers who saw timothy leary and all that kind of stuff with lsd uh back in the 70s you know that's that's a big part of the issue um yeah. but i think that and but then again michael pollan is one of those guys so yeah, he's, yeah he's writing he's potentially writing for an instruction manual on how to change your mind yeah <laughs> but but also it, it seems to be that that these maybe one of the big concerns from the pharmaceutical perspective, and I'm not a conspiracy guy that thinks big pharma is trying to, you know, plot against us, but they do have a profit motive and, and it would make sense to keep those, to keep drugs that are not patentable illegal so that my patent drugs can continue to serve people. If, if there are, are ways to treat depression and uh, the, the biggest thing that was, I don't know if the stat is exactly right, but, um, uh, it helped, 85% of people quit smoking after one one dose of psilocybin. Yeah. But only, but so then they tried to, so the, uh, this is an interesting part of the history. So that's, yes, in the hands of um, certain therapists and scientists right. in the right setting. So then when they tried to repeat those with a more rigorous controlled setting and they basically gave you know, gave people the drug and then locked them in a white room by themselves. And surprisingly, those guys didn't react very well oh to that. So, you, so it requires the right setting, it requires yes. a therapist. So that's the thing is, in the right setting, apparently, you know, uh, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm some big poster child for this. I'm just reading the book and I'm, en I'm enjoying the science. <laughs> I'm enjoying the science and the history. Um, but, you know, so in the, if, in the, if the setting is right and the, ther and the therapy is right, then it, it, it does seem to have benefit, but you can do it very wrong and then it can have negative effects. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so so I think that's that's the big caveat, but there also seems to be a lot of promising research here. And the thing that Sam Harris talks about is there's sort of shortcut toward meditation, right? I mean, and, and understanding. Right. Yeah, so you can get the same effect from holotropic breath work or meditation or like all of those things can help you switch off those same parts of the brain and so you don't you don't have to be taking drugs to do it right 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 it's just a much more uh, rigorous process right yeah uh, but it is it's totally possible i think of the sauna sometimes like when i go back and forth between a hot sauna and a cold plunge i feel totally euphoric um in, in a way that like i suppose i could replicate with with alcohol or, or or marijuana but this is a more natural way to do it right so um yeah just something to think about what else do we have here introversion versus extroversion i don't know why i wrote that down but um it's, it's probably a good place to, uh, yeah, actually, to I have talk an about i mean so that's one thing that that changed for me certainly i was this back office programmer that used to get i mean success for me looked like not making eye contact with people oh, <laughs> you know um locked away in the back office somewhere and then I started a business, got married, had two kids now, yeah. started a podcast, all this stuff that seems quite extroverted. And it certainly wasn't part of my character before I went through this process. So I don't know, like, can all this stuff change that? Uh, well, this seems to be my experience. Um, whether it would work for someone else, I'm not quite so sure. But yeah, it's I, interesting I a, to think I about. I a bit of the opposite story, actually. So I worked in the corporate world. 
I was essentially, uh, I managed hundreds of people. And so like I was around people all day, yeah. every day. From the time I woke up, I'd get my Blackberry and I'd start responding to emails and I'd hurry up and go into the office and I'm around people all day, leading and coaching and meetings and blah, 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 and customers. And I'm just around all these people all day. And I didn't realize how burned out I was that uh, one of my favorite novels is a book called Freedom by Jonathan Franzen. And there's a line in there and he talks about... Um, the unquenchable thirst of solitude. Mm. And and that resonates so much with me now. Like I've set up my life in a way that I do spend at least 80% of my time alone. And it really fuels me in a way that I didn't realize, I didn't realize like I wasn't getting that fuel. And so I was just, I was a non-optimal version of myself 100% of the time because I was always around people. And so those interactions at best were, 30, 40% of what they could have been. Mm. So I don't know if there's any any data that y'all want to talk yeah. about with respect to introversion or extroversion, but... It's interesting to think of it from an ancestral health perspective. Like how many, how big would your tribe have been? How many people would you have seen on the average day? Would it have been... 150? 40? I don't know. Yeah, like 40 seems like a more yeah, reasonable number. Like 30 to 40, I think, on, on average. Something yeah. Like yeah, so... so um, but I find that I'm a much better version of myself. I can be at the 70, 80, 90, 100% version of myself when I'm around fewer people. And Ryan and I did a, a recent uh, episode talking about the, the different types of relationship in our lives. And, and he's, an, he's the exact opposite, extreme extrovert. I've never seen him alone. Um, and and, <laughs> um, and uh, he, but he has a lot of sort of, these secondary relationships that I don't have. Um, so we, uh, we look at these, these uh, I look at relationships as we have three different types of relationships. We have this sort of primary relationship that use your closest family and friends. You know, you can usually count on one hand, two hands if you're Catholic. <laughs> um, but uh, the closest people in your life, it usually fits on one hand. And then you, uh, the, the, the next layer of the concentric circles, you have these, the secondary layer of friends. And, and these are like people you consider close friends and family, extended family, people you work right next to. And, and I find the extroverts have a lot more people on that, yeah, second, yeah. that second ring. And then you have that, that third, the, the peripheral ring or the, the tertiary relationships, the acquaintances, the coworkers, the, the friends that you see. Like I, some of my closest friends I talk to once or twice a year, but they're the most meaningful conversations I have in my entire life likely because we only talk once or twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> or I go back to Dayton, Ohio three times a year usually. And and when I do that, I, I find that that though I, I sit down with the people that I that are closest to me and I make time for them and we have these great conversations and it's like we never left. But if I had to see them every single day, um, I don't think our interactions would be as meaningful. I think with Ryan, they probably would be though. Like he, every every day, he yeah. would just find something meaningful out of it, but it would drain me. So he's probably just found a better answer to the question. So what do you do? Like, you know, <laughs> I could imagine being you. Yeah. Like uh, people ask you, what do you do? Well, I it, it grinds you down. It does, man. I and I I've I now like I I I don't want to come off as pretentious. I've been trying to think of like just really weird things that I can say to people <laughs> to like get them to go away. But uh, I find when I really want to like rib someone, I'm like, what do you mean by that question? Like, do you mean like, what's my job title? How much money do I earn? So you can compare you to me on the right. socioeconomic ladder. Which is quite and, confrontational. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so, um, 
Yeah, I, I think quite often we do mean like what's your job title, and I think that's just a, a dangerous question to ask each other because then we get wrapped up this whole identity of like this is who I am as a person. I'm the director of operations, and you can't mm. pry that from my hands. And then when you do, when I get laid off. <gasps> My life's over right. because you've just, you didn't lay me off. You removed my identity from me. And that happens with the third BMW. It happens with the veganism. It happens with the carnivore diet. What do you do? I'm paleo. What? Yeah. What does that mean? I do like, CrossFit. Yeah, right. What do you do? <laughs> CrossFit. Eight days a week. Uh, my back hurts. Um, no, I, um, all right, well, let's, uh, let me see here. I usually do something called added value segment where we talk about things that have added value to our lives recently. And since Ryan isn't here, I'm just going to talk about your podcast. Cause I think you guys do a great job of taking things that are outside of the, 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 the world of, of just medical terms and jargon. And I'm terrified to even dip my toe in that water because, it's going to be too hot or too cold for me. And you, and you distill it down to a way where it's like explaining how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and and uh, I feel like it's it's digestible for me. And I, that when I know like like I can digest something, then I it, it often raises more questions and then I'll, I'll go in a different direction. So I'll encourage people who are listening or watching this to just check out the Nourish Balance Thrive podcast. And if you're interested in working with these guys at all or just seeing more about them, just go to nourishbalancethrive.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, just a quick follow-up on right here, right now. It's a segment we do where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. My birthday is this week. I'm turning 37 years old, and I want you all to get me a birthday gift. <laughs> I, I legitimately want a birthday gift from you. Um, so... I'm from Dayton. You end up with like two million things turning <laughs> up at your house. Well, I'm gonna <laughs> let me be specific about my about my gift then. Thank you. Um, so, so uh, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, second hungriest city in the United States uh, for families. And West Dayton, um, which I didn't grow up in West Dayton, but uh, I, I grew up in, in, in Dayton, and it's uh, the overdose capital of America. We have a lot of problems there. The opioid epidemic is serious, but there's also another crisis there. So, uh, I think the second largest food desert in the entire country is West Dayton. And it's, there is not a single grocery store. There's a million people in, in the greater Dayton area, a couple hundred thousand in, in the city proper. In the west side, half the city, there is not a single grocery store since Kroger closed in 2009. Mm. And so there's access to, to food. If you go to the local liquor store, you can buy Cheetos, <laughs> but you can't buy nutrients. You can't buy nutrition. There's not a single grocery store. And so Ryan and I have a really ambitious objective. We want to build, help build a grocery store, a food co-op in Dayton, Ohio next year. And so we're trying to raise some money. And uh, we've partnered up with, there is a place called the Gym City Market. And, and um, they don't exist yet, but we're trying to raise funds for them. So we're going to try and raise $100,000 over the next two months. And Ryan and I are going to donate a significant chunk of our own money to try to make this happen. But we need your help. So if you'd be willing to donate $37 for my 37th birthday, that would be the best gift you could give me, but it's also gonna help provide not just food, because I think having food, access to food is really important. You all know this, but also the education. I, I didn't know that for me, like there were certain foods that were really bad for me. Uh, I just thought, you know, I thought potato, well, it's a vegetable. I might as well just eat all of them, right? Potatoes aren't inherently bad, but they're better than Cheetos. But how about kale and, and arugula? And, and so we're also we're gonna provide education w with this place. And so providing 
the access to food, the education about food so that people can make the right food choices and have food to feed their families is something that we want to do. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to on my birthday, um, June 29th is my birthday, by the way. Um, just go to theminimalists.com slash Dayton. In fact, you can do that today. It'll take you right to the page where you can donate. If you donate $37 for my birthday, you'll help uh, help us with, with this co-op that we're trying to build. If you donate 90 bucks, that will give one family a lifetime membership to the co-op. So um, that's another way to help. Or you can donate however much you want. I know we've done a few things in the past where people want to donate more than that. We, by all means, we welcome it. If you want to give some money, help us feed some people who, I mean, this is, I mean, it's in our backyard. I spent the first 31 years of my life in, in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, I can tell you that we have a lot of problems there. And one is, man, there just isn't access to, to good food. So hopefully you all will be willing to help out with that. Theminimalists.com slash Dayton for details. Also, Ryan and I are going on tour. We're uh, three cities, Birmingham, and uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and then we'll be in Nashville, Tennessee. We're doing we're talking about money and minimalism. It's called the Simply Southern Tour, and you can find all the details at our website, theminimalists.com. That's uh, July, mid-July. I think it's the 20th, 22nd, and 24th. We're going to have Chris Hogan and Rachel Cruz and Anthony O'Neill with us talking about money and minimalism, so bring your questions with you. It's going to be different from any other event we've ever done. And I think that's... Pr- oh, one, one other thing. On YouTube, I've been doing something called Living Room Conversations, so... I, literally every day in my living room, I just turn on my phone and I answer one question. Someone asks a question and I've gotten some of the best responses from this, these quick videos. Impromptu, I don't have anything prepared. Someone just asks a question and I answer one question. It's three minutes, five minutes. And that's why we started a video version of the podcast too because a lot of people are finding value in, in the video creation. So if you want to check those out, one question a day over at YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash The Minimalists. All right, that's all I have besides these voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Sabrina. I'm from Brooklyn, um, and I was just listening to your podcast about food. Um, One thing I encourage people to do when they go to the farmer's market in order to save money is to ask the farmers for second-choice produce. It's the stuff that's a little bit bruised or it's not quite as pretty, and they usually sell it for quite a steep discount. So oftentimes I can get tomatoes that are originally $6 a pound for $2 a pound. So if people are looking to budget or to save money on food, especially organic local food, I encourage you to ask for the less beautiful produce. This is Joe from Dallas, and this was a comment for some parents who uh, have trouble with all the things that their kids have and don't necessarily want to throw away their children's things without permission from their children or talking to their kids about it. We had a playroom that was exploding with toys, and what we did was we adapted the minimalism game for our kids. And so we asked them what uh, motivated them, and they talked about getting new toys. So we decided we were going to let them do it for a month, and for every number that they got to on their game, we would give them $10 at the end of the month to spend. So the first toy they got rid of, they got $10. And then to get to number two, they'd give away two toys, and they'd be at $20, and then three toys, and so it'd be six toys total, and they'd be at 30 just like the minimalism game, uh, but we didn't go by days. We just let them go as the month went on. My, I underestimated my children. They each got to 13 toys, which was over 90 and really over 100 because they got through. They got rid of some collections of toys, like plastic dinosaur collection would be one toy. And uh, so I owed them $260 to go on a shopping spree, and instead of 
buying 13 toys each. They uh, they pooled their money and they bought three toys that they really wanted. And uh, so I traded in 200 toys for three toys. And in one month, we really got rid of a big chunk of that playroom. And uh, on a whim, after we went on our shopping spree for the three items, I drew 91 smiley faces on a napkin to show my daughter. And I said, this is how many kids that you made happy this month. And uh, for those that are worried about consumerism or, or teaching their kids that, you know, the the reward for doing well is to go on a shopping spree, uh, when they had a play date a few days later and they brought their friends to their playroom, it wasn't the new toys that they went to. They had kept the napkin and they showed their friends that, you know, they were so proud of how many kids that they had made happy this month. And uh, we've had it continue to go for the last couple of months. And we have drastically reduced the amount of toys that we have in the house. And the kids have toys that they really, really wanted and that they they, they were invested in because they got to choose them themselves. I hope this helps some families out there. It's been very helpful for us. Hey, Minimalists. My name is Emma calling from Mammoth Lakes, California. I recently listened to your episode on social media. And I had a great tip for people who were looking to cut back their use of social media, whether it be for time spent using it or just the fact that getting caught up with social media is taken away from the other things in their life that are bringing them value. Uh, One thing I have done to cut back my use of social media is gone to my settings of my phone and turned off cellular use data for certain apps. So, for example, if I want to cut back my time spent on Facebook, um, I can go to my cellular use area of my settings and turn off cellular data for that app, meaning I can only access that app if I'm I'm connected to Internet. And I've done this for most of my social media apps, um, just because it cuts back how much I use them and allows me to, A, save some of my data because I don't like going over and having to spend more money, but also just not using the apps as much as I used to. All right, Joe, that's almost it for this episode. I want to thank you both for being here today. Chris, Tommy, I, this is one of the best conversations we've ever had on this podcast, mainly because Ryan wasn't here. <laughs> but you are a wealth of knowledge. I, I, I'm grateful that you decided to come in today and spend this time with me. And I know folks will get immense value from this, whether they watch it on YouTube or or they just listen to the, the podcast. But uh, I'm really grateful you decided to spend this time with us. Thank you so much. Oh, likewise. Yeah, thank you for having us. And thank you for being such a fantastic client. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, Tommy, he is a wealth of knowledge, and I've not really met anyone that can integrate all of the things out there quite like you can in such an unbiased way. So, yeah, super glad to be here and have the opportunity. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And if uh, if you all have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call or a comment for the end of the episodes, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you all leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need 
Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So take your eyes away Or take 